Welcome to the October 25th meeting of the Lawrence and Douglas County Municipal Planning Organization. Um, we have a hybrid format meeting, meaning we've got people um, here in the room, we have people online, and Ellie, would you be so kind as to walk us through how those meetings work? Yeah. Good evening, Ellie Mullins, planner. I will be working, or I will be helping to facilitate the Zoom video portion of this meeting. I will work alongside the chair to facilitate the meeting proceedings. I have a few housekeeping items for this hybrid meeting. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. Please remember to mute yourself during the meeting when you are not speaking. The chat function for this public meeting is disabled. All chats will go directly to me. Unless you are participating during the meeting, please turn your video off. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on screen. You will still be able to hear the meeting. When you are participating, please turn your video on. If you have any trouble, you can send a chat to me. The city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. And now I will turn the meeting back over to the chair. Thank you, Ellie. And just a, a quick note, um, uh, the sound in this room is as good as it can get. Um, if you're having trouble hearing, um, I'd invite you to uh, uh, participate from the foyer. The sound out there, the amplification is much stronger. So if you're having trouble hearing, that's just a tip for you. Um, some of the upfront work before we get into the items. Um, I want to receive any written uh, communications from the public. Anything not in the packet? All the communications received by the deadline were included in your packet. Thanks. And how about communications from staff, planning commissioners, or other commissioners? None this evening. Any written action of waiver? Requests, determinations made by the city engineer? Also none this evening. All right, now's the time for commissioners to uh, discuss, reveal any ex parte communications they've had on the items before us tonight. Yes, sir. Yeah, I spoke a couple of weeks ago with Chuck Magrill about uh, item three. Very good. Jerry? And I spoke with a young lady about item three also. Okay, very good. I also spoke with Chuck Magrill about very item good. three. I spoke with Kelly Kincher about item three. Okay. Chuck Magrill and Michael Allman, item three. In a walk around, I had the same, yes? Chuck Magrill, item three. Chuck has been <laughs> thorough. And, and I guess um, I did walk around too. Do I need to say that? Yeah. No. no. Okay. No. The only purpose behind it is just to reveal anything that might not be a part of the packet. And so far, I think that based on what I've read from what uh, Mr. Magrill has submitted, that it's all consistent there. So thank you all for doing that. Um, any declarations of abstention? Anybody abstaining tonight from any item? No, I'm looking online, Mr. Kelso. I don't think so. And Mr. Kelso, if you would, please just help me out. If, uh, if you have a hand up and I'm not seeing you, please uh, um, come off mute and interrupt. Thank you. I will do that. Thank you, sir. Um, now we have an opportunity for general public comment. General public comment is set aside on these meetings to receive feedback on anything not on the regular agenda. Anyone care to make general public comment tonight? All right, anybody online, Ellie, for that that you can I see? I do not see anyone online. All right, with that, we'll jump into tonight's agenda. There were six items, four have deferred, leaving us with two bits of business tonight. Um, the flow of each of these items uh, goes like this. We'll um, introduce the item. Uh, staff will give a report on that item. Um, we'll move to general, or we'll move to public comment on the item. I'm sorry. Let me start over. Staff report. The applicant has an opportunity to uh, um, to add comment. Uh, we have 10 minutes up front for the applicant. 
um, the, we moved to general public comment after that on that item, um, a limit of three minutes per person. I'd ask you to please help keep an eye on the clock and we'll remind you if you run long. Then the applicant will have an opportunity to respond. And once uh, that's all done, once we close general public comment and the applicant's done, it comes back to the commission and it'll stay with the commission and general public comment will be closed on that item for the remainder of the discussion. So with that, item number one is to consider approving a request to rezone about an acre um, located at 801 Iowa Street from Commercial Strip to um, RMO, uh, multi-dwelling residential office. And Mary Miller, I think you're up on this one. Yes, thank you, uh, commissioners. I'm Mary Miller, city county planner, and I will be sharing my screen real quickly here. As you mentioned, this is a rezoning for 801 Iowa Street. The request is to go from commercial strip to residential, a multi-dwelling residential office zoning. The subject property is located at the north end of the commercial uses along Iowa Street. Um, it is adjacent to Centennial Park, which surrounds it on the north and the west. The graphic on the right kind of shows a more specific look at the subject property. Um, it is currently developed with a motel and it is adjacent to restaurant and um, car sales to the south and then as I mentioned, the park on the north and the west. The rezoning has been requested to accommodate an extended care facility general. However, if the rezoning is approved, any use permitted in the RMO district would be possible. And there is a attachment showing, kind of comparing the uses that are allowed in commercial strip and RMO. The RMO district is a less intense zoning district. And so the uses allowed in it are less intensive than those allowed in the commercial strip. Uh, the applicant indicated they would like to develop the existing structure with a um, alcohol drug treatment and rehabilitation center. This would require minimal changes to the structure, um, on, to the exterior. There'd be some changes to the interior, changing the motel rooms on the ground floor to offices and conference rooms, but the external would have some upgrades that uh, would not be very significant changes. However, as I mentioned, um, once it's zoned to RMO, if the zoning is approved, um, any of the uses allowed in the RMO district would be possible. Uh, the subject property contains about one acre, and rezonings are reviewed with the rezoning criteria provided in the Land Development Code. And so I will go through in my presentation and uh, review with each one of these criteria. The first is the conformance with the comprehensive plan. Uh, the comprehensive plan does not address extended care general uses specifically. And so I looked at them in two different ways. Uh, one is if we considered them a community facility, I looked at the recommendations for community facilities. Um, the comprehensive plan says we will be a community with facilities to serve our residents and enhance the quality of life in a sustainable and efficient manner. And one of the action steps to do that recommends we consider infill opportunities and reuse options for new community facilities. So if we were going to consider this community facility, it would be compliant with that infill and reuse recommendation. The comprehensive plan does uh, recommend transitions uh, from commercial developments to other land uses. Uh, and the action steps for that are to ensure compatible transitions from commercial uses to other less intensive uses to mitigate impacts, which may include landscaping, transition yards, or open spaces, 
and action step 2.3 is require site placement and design to orient buildings in a compatible and appropriate manner. Um, as I mentioned, the subject property is already developed, so the uh, site design would not be altered. Um, the altering would be to put a less intense zoning district here and allow less intense uses, which would serve as a transition between the commercial and the adjacent park use, the open space park. And so in this, uh, the second criteria we look at is, is the rezoning compatible with the existing zoning and land uses in the area? Uh, there are two zoning districts in this area. There's the commercial strip, which lines Iowa Street, and then down to the south, we have the 9th and um, Iowa Commercial Center. And then we have OS, the remainder of this block is a zone OS, uh, contains Centennial Park, which is a regional park. So the um, RMO being kind of a transitional type of zoning and the it would be compatible with the existing zonings. Um, that's because it's located at the border of the CS and OS district. If it was being proposed for a more internal lot in the CS district, it would probably not be appropriate just due to the change in different intensities of uses. But as it would be in an area that would serve as a transition, it would be compatible with the adjacent zoning and land uses. Another criteria we look at is would the zoning and proposed land use uh, be compatible with the character of the neighborhood? And so this is kind of showing the neighborhood. I'm using about 400 feet, which is the required notification area, and showing the uses and the development pattern in that area. We have the park, as I've mentioned. Uh, we have some restaurants and uh, auto sales right to the south. Um, south of that, we have the grocery store, the mercantile. Um, we have a com convenience center to the east. We have a restaurant, a dental office, auto sales, a restaurant, and other motels. We have a string of commercial uses in the area. And then further to the east, we have residential. And so changing the use of this property from motel to extended care should not impact the character of the neighborhood. And any of the other uses allowed in the RMO district being lower intensity also should maintain the character of the neighborhood. Other things we look at uh, for review criteria is, is it compliant with the plans for the area or neighborhood? There are no adopted plans for this area, so the um, comprehensive plan is the guiding document. What is the suitability for uses permitted in the current zoning? And the property is well suited for uses in the commercial strip, especially for the motel use that it's currently developed with. Uh, some of the uses it may be less suitable for, given its proximity to the um, city park, uh, such as uh, large vehicle sales, you know, things like that, um, automobile repairs, you know, some other uses that might be more of an impact to the open space use. How long has a property been vacant and zoned? Uh, the property is not vacant. It's been developed as a motel since it's been zoned. What is the extent the removal of restrictions or this rezoning would um, have on uh, nearby properties? Would it detrimentally impact them? And the removal of restrictions would actually we'd be applying more restrictions because we'd be rezoning to a lower intensity zoning district. So there would be no negative impact on nearby properties. And as there are no negative impacts identified, uh, there would be no gain to the public health, safety, or welfare by denying this rezoning request. And uh, another criteria is the reasonableness of conditions, but no conditions are being proposed for this rezoning. And so this is just a summary of the other list I had of the rezoning criteria, which is kind of a summary. This is the entire criteria that you can refer back to. And staff is recommending affording the rezoning request to the city commission with a recommendation for approval based on the findings in the staff report. 
And that concludes my presentation. I'll be happy to answer questions if you have any. And Mary the applicant, I believe, is available as well. Mary, thank you so much. Um, yeah, the applicant, uh, I have written down here, Letitia Cole from Paul Werner. Is Letitia here or Paul? Hi, yes. Do you care to... Uh, Hi, Letitia Cole Hi. with Paul Werner Architects. Um, I don't know whether I have anything in addition. I'm, you know, as pleased with the staff report. Um, we're in agreement with it. Um, I'd be happy to answer any questions that you guys have. Very good. We'll come back to you okay. when we have questions. I have an opportunity for general public comment. Is there anyone here tonight to speak from the public to speak on this item? Anyone in the room? Ellie, anyone online, if you're here online to speak to this item, would you raise your hand in some way? No one online. I don't see anything with that. Uh, with no public comment, we won't go back to the applicants and uh, we'll bring this back to the commission for discussion. Does anyone have questions they'd like to explore? Yes. Yeah, I have, a, I have a question for Steph. Um, I note in the cover page, the executive summary, that there's reference to the applicant's interest in potentially using some of the space for offices, exam rooms, therapy rooms, and meeting spaces. I just, I assume this is the case, but I, I want to confirm that all those uses are acceptable uses under the RMO designation. And if they are, is that as a matter of right, or would that be pursuant to a, a special use permit or some other arrangement? Uh, they would be a part of the extended care facility, you know, the exam rooms, the meeting rooms, if they, they would be all for their purposes. So it would just all come under that umbrella term of the extended care general. So it would just be approved as a side plan. Great. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Question. Other questions? Is the, uh, is the operator of this, uh, this proposed facility available for questions as well? <clears throat> I'd love to ask you a question about uh, um, the intended use you have, and I'll just get straight at it. Uh, yeah. uh, you're going to be working with folks that are um, uh, in the beginning of process of long-term recovery. We're butted right up against a public park, which doesn't provide an awful lot of, of, of protection or security from people coming and going. Have you thought about... Have you yeah. thought about that, that aspect and how you might approach? Yeah, currently, you know, the entrance to the property, we have an overhang um, at the front entrance where admissions are going to be. And then we have a retaining wall running down, I, I think, I guess it's the south end of the property. We kind of plan on fencing that area in, offering access for emergency vehicles in the back. but kind of containing that area in and kind of creating like a courtyard. We're not going to need as much parking as what's currently on site. So we're going to enclose that area. The lower level, the garden area, is not going to be any patient's room. So there's not going to be access for patients to get out into the park. Um, so that, that lower area is going to be like a media room, a gym, um, our 
our meal hall, our kitchen area. So they'll be down there for certain activities during the day. We might do some of our large group therapy on that lower level, but they're not going to have access out of that space at a certain time. So we'll be able to offer security and have all the patient rooms be on the upper levels off the ground floor. Gotcha. So, and then any time that any of these patients are going to be outside on the property, they're always monitored by a behavioral health technician or therapist. So we keep close watch on those patients so that they're not left to go unsupervised. Gotcha. Um, just so that we could offer them, you know, security and sobriety. So. Thank you. Yeah, not a problem. Much. Okay. Anything else? Other comments, questions from the commission? I thought this seemed like a great use for Lawrence and apparently very needed. So I, I thought it would be a good uh, transition. So I, I would certainly be in favor of this. Thank you. Any other comments? Is there a motion? I move to recommend approval based on the facts in the staff report. All right. Is that a sufficient motion, Jeff? Yes. And is there a second? A second. Thank you. Second, uh, Chelsea. Um, those in favor, signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed, same sign. And it carries unanimously. Thank you all for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Good luck to you. Thank you. Good luck to you. All right. We move on to item two. Um, consider approving a request. <coughs> Item three on this page. Yes. Uh, consider approving a request to rezone approximately 17 to 18 acres located at uh, 2111 East 15th Street from RS10 to RM32. And this is Mary's night. Mary, would you uh, take us through this item, please? I sure will. I will share my screen again. And as you mentioned, this is a rezoning from um, RS10 single dwelling residential to RM32 multi-dwelling residential. It's for property at 2111 East 15th Street. And this shows the location within the city of Lawrence. It's near the very east edge of the city. And this is a closer location map to the northwest. We have Oak Hill Cemetery. Uh, to the east, we have the former farmland industries, or now Venture Park Industrial Complex. And then we have to the west and the south, existing established residential neighborhoods. To the north, we have a platted rural subdivision, as well as woodlands, agricultural land, and there is one res rural residence off to the northeast. Uh, some of the key points with this rezoning request is that the, the project is proposing affordable housing as defined in the Land Development Code. The development would require improvements to East 15th Street um, adjacent to the property. And 32 dwelling units per acre is the maximum density that is possible in the RM32 district, but other factors may limit density. It's, it's quite often not possible to develop to that maximum density. Um, the development code defines affordable housing as a dwelling unit is affordable when a household spends no more than 30% of their monthly household income on rent or mortgage plus utilities. 
For rental units, um, it notes that a dwelling unit with monthly rent and utilities uh, should not exceed 110% of the HUD defined fair market rate, which would be determined yearly. And for owner-occupied units, it's a dwelling unit where the monthly mortgage costs and utilities are affordable for those owners earning up to 80% of medium family income. So there are income uh, limits based on this type of affordable housing. Again, this is a rezoning review criteria that we use when we review rezoning requests. And the first one is the conformance with the comprehensive plan. Um, chapter three, growth and development has a chapter on residential uses. It notes that um, tier one is prioritized for growth and development um, since infrastructure is available and services are available. <clears throat> and the city of Lawrence wants to develop, develop within their boundaries before they extend and begin annexing land. So it recommends we maximize development opportunities within Lawrence before expanding into tier two, which is the area just outside. Um, action steps to accomplish this would be to accommodate infill housing development in appropriate locations. And another one is to increase the overall height and density of certain zoning districts in Lawrence to accommodate sustainable growth in areas that could take advantage of existing infrastructure. And the update to the development plan is working to increase the um, height and density of zoning districts. However, um, in the interim, until that's adopted, um, rezoning to a district that would allow greater height and greater density would be one way of accomplishing this uh, goal. Goal seven recommends we create a functional and aesthetically unique residential environment for Lawrence. And action steps to accomplish that are to encourage a variety of housing types, including, and it lists a number of different types of housing types, single family homes, apartments, and um, accessory dwellings, all these various types of housing, uh, to intersperse affordable housing throughout Lawrence and to provide compatible transitions from residential neighborhoods uh, between more intensive uses uh, between both established and new neighborhood areas. So compatible transition is very important. Um, it also notes that integrating higher density residential development can become an asset to a neighborhood if designed to fit within the environment properly. Uh, the goal eight is to encourage integration of higher density residential development through compatible design. This notes that site design should be oriented so that less compatible facets, such as loading, parking, trash, other things, are located in the interior of the development and not in close proximity to low density uses. And that transition areas between different housing types be designed and planned to ensure compatibility of uses with the surrounding area. The applicant provided this revised concept plan after um, receiving comments. Um, I forwarded comments from the public as well as comments made by staff um, in an attempt to pull the larger buildings away from the residential homes, the smaller single dwelling homes that surround it. Um, so with this, there is a expanded area that would be left open. And this is one of the conditions staff is recommending if the rezoning is approved, is that a 50 foot vegetated buffer be provided in this area. Um, this dashed line is a utility easement. It's about 10 feet wide. That's the amount of required buffer there is between RS and RM districts. So this would expand the required vegetated buffer. And um, as you'll see in later images, and as you've probably read in the communications and the staff report, there's quite a bit of tree cover on this property. And so the goal would be to maintain as much of that mature tree vegetation in this buffer area as possible. 
Um, there is also a stream corridor on the property, and that's required to be protected. Um, and there's quite a few trees associated with that as well. But that explains why the property is divided into the two phases, uh, one phase west of the stream corridor, and then the other phase would be east of the stream corridor. And as the comprehensive plan noted, <coughs> excuse me, uh, more intense activities or facets should be located to the interior. Um, that would be illustrated on the right side where the buildings are on the perimeter and the parks on the interior. Um, on the phase one, it's showing the parking along the exterior. Uh, this would pull the buildings further away from the residents. Uh, but when site planning occurs, that's when we would look at that and determine uh, would it be less uh, impactful to actually have buildings along the perimeter rather than the parking. And uh, that would be something we'd work with the nearby property owners to determine which would be less impactful to them. But that vegetated buffer yard should provide a pretty uh, efficient and effective buffer between the larger apartment buildings and the smaller residential homes. And the comprehensive plan uh, says we should integrate medium and higher density housing types so they are compatible in density, scale, and aesthetics and are appropriately mixed into the larger neighborhood context and require developments to be located to maximize the use of existing infrastructure and minimize the cost of expanding facilities and services. And so the, um, the property would have to extend water throughout the site, and, uh, but services are available. The property around it is developed, and so utilities are available to, uh, to serve this property. Another criteria to look at is, is the proposed zoning compatible with the existing zoning and land use in the area? So on the left, figure to the left, the areas that are outside the city limits, their zoning is shown, it's highlighted. So we have the Ag 2 directly to the north of the property. This is transitional agriculture. And um, this is developed at that platted rural subdivision and also has the woodland and some ag land. And then to the purple area is general industrial. And it's developed with residents and agricultural land uses. It's heavily encumbered with the floodplain, so it, it's uh, questionable if it would ever develop with industrial uses. And as far as the city properties, uh, to the west we have OS, open space for the cemetery. We have a mix of uh, different single dwelling uh, zonings, RS5, RS10, and RS7 uh, for residential, single dwelling residential surrounding the property on the west and the south. Uh, further to the south, we have a mobile home park. And then to the east, we have GPI, general public and institutional use district. Um, this is going to um, have the Municipal Services and Operations Utility Campus. Um, and I may be saying that wrong, but it's a, it's a utilitarian kind of semi-industrial use. And this use, when the, the special use permit went forward, um, it did provide a buffer, a pretty sound buffer along the west side to buffer it from the residential uses to the west. So given the location of this property at the edge of the residential neighborhood and adjacent to the more industrial use to the east, it, uh, it would be an appropriate location for multi-dwelling zoning. And with the proposed vegetated buffer along the west and the south, it, uh, it should be compatible with adjacent zoning and land uses, as long as care is taken during the site planning process to ensure that the site design and uh, the features of the site are compatible with the nearby residential uses. And again, we look at the character of the area. Is a proposed use compatible with the character of the area? And this pretty much shows the same area I just discussed. I expanded it out to 400 feet within the city limits. Um, in the rural area, we go out, I believe it's a half a mile, 
but it's primarily agricultural land, so I didn't shrink the picture to include it all. There is quite a bit of floodplain, as I mentioned, to the northeast. And so given the um, utility use that would be going to the east and the buffering, it should be compatible with the character of the area. And one thing I wanted to touch on is the difference between density and intensity. Density is based on the number of dwelling units, and each dwelling unit has one kitchen. Uh, intensity is based on the number of bedrooms and the amount of parking that's required. So in this case, we have 17.7 acres. Uh, the proposed rezoning is RM32. And this would allow over 500 dwelling units, so they're requesting 360 dwelling units, which would actually be a density of about 20 dwelling units per acre. If they had 360 one-bedroom dwelling units, uh, they would require 396 parking spaces. If they went to the maximum and had 364 bedroom dwelling units, uh, it would be 1,440 bedrooms and would require 1,584 parking spaces. So you can be within the same density and have very different intensity levels with the development. And as I mentioned, they are proposing, I believe, 720 bedrooms. And this graphic is from the staff report. It illustrates where this would be possible in different zoning districts. Um, it's possible in the RM32, which is being requested. It would be possible in the RM24. Um, technically, the number of bedrooms would be possible in the RM15, but it would not allow the number of dwelling units that are being proposed. Um, staff did suggest that they could rezone to RM24. I believe the applicant wanted to keep the option open to be able to have smaller dwellings, but more of them. Um, if they increase the number of dwellings in RM32, <clears throat> and uh, so I think they wanted to keep that option open where they could have more dwellings, but not necessarily increase the number of bedrooms. Um, as you saw from the concept plan, there doesn't appear to be much space for more parking. And that's one of the limiting, limiting factors with density. A density of a project can be limited by the amount of parking that's required. It can be limited by the topography. When they do engineering studies, um, often an applicant will assume they can develop 75% of a site, but when the engineering studies come in, that's when you determine what portions can be developed. So density is always kind of a flexible factor, that maximum density you can develop to. Uh, we look at the adopted plans for the area. Um, this area has two active adopted plans. Um, number one is the uh, plan for uh, Venture Park Industrial, and number two is the Burroughs Creek Corridor Plan. So the subject property is not within an active area plan. So therefore, the comprehensive plan recommendations are the guiding document for this area. And the criteria is uh, the suitability for uses permitted in the current zoning of the subject property is well suited for um, uses in the RS-10 single dwelling district, as well as the multi-dwelling. Um, it is well suited for residential uses. Uh, the topography may cause challenges for either one of the uses. Um, if it was going to be developed in RS-10, it would be necessary to extend city streets throughout um, to connect to the streets to the south, as well as an internal street network. And the topography uh, could create issues with that. The topography could also create issues with the location of the apartment buildings. So in either case, the topography would be a challenge. So it is equally suitable for single dwelling or multi-dwelling uses. Uh, how long has the property remained vacant as zoned? It was annexed in 1967. I believe the zoning was applied at that time, and it has not been developed except for the uh, 
TV tower that's there today and um, some uses by the TV station, but it has never actually been developed residentially as it's zoned. Uh, what extent would removal of restrictions have on nearby properties? Um, there are potential negative impacts that could occur with a multi-dwelling development. You have the visual impact of the taller buildings, of their bigger mass. That's why it's important to have those pulled back and away from the uh, smaller residences. Lighting could create an issue. And uh, these would be addressed at the site planning stage. And I'll discuss some of the factors that we can look at when we look at a site plan that would actually protect, they're intended to protect single dwelling residential neighborhoods. And so what would be the gain to the public health, safety, and welfare if we denied this rezoning? Um, in staff's opinion, the negative impacts could be mitigated or resolved through appropriate site planning. And so staff does not identify any gain to the public health, safety, and welfare that would occur through the denial. Uh, this is an image of the um, concept plan overlaid in the area. The green areas are the uh, buffer yard, the 50-foot vegetated buffer yard, and then we have the green space between the buildings. Um, so this kind of shows where development is proposed in the concept plan. It's important to note the concept plan is only a concept plan, so when the site planning comes through, things could change, and that would be important. It's based on engineering, and it's based on reviewing the site plan and also on um, public participation. As I mentioned, our development code has specific standards for protection of residential, single dwelling residential districts when more intense uses locate nearby. We can um, look at the location of activities that could generate potential adverse impacts. Um, the concept plan does show a clubhouse located on the perimeter. It also has that parking. When we go through the site plan, if it's determined that it'd be better to have the backs of the building face the neighborhoods, that could be um, accomplished through the site plan review. Where the trash receptacles are is very important because that's where the trash trucks will come. You'll hear the beeping um, early in the morning usually. So where those are placed and uh, buffered to minimize the impact is important. Lighting is a very important factor. Where it's located, the intensity, even the hours of illumination can be regulated to minimize impact on nearby single dwellings. Um, any outdoor services or activities, uh, if they were going to have an outdoor soccer field or a pool, you know, we could determine where that would be located to reduce the impact. Additional landscaping and buffering can be required. Height restrictions could be required um, if the buildings couldn't be pulled back far enough to minimize the appearance, you know, to lessen that visual impact. Uh, there could be height restrictions placed on them and uh, preservation of natural lighting and solar access, but um, pulling them back away from the single dwellings development to the west and the south should preserve the natural lighting and solar access to those properties. And since I've discussed, you know, this would be achieved at the site planning stage, but site plans never come to the planning commission. And um, so you may not be aware of just what goes through the site planning process. And I know many members of the neighborhood have contacted me and we've discussed the project. And I think it'd be helpful to know if the zoning is approved and we look at it from the site plan, what is the process and how can the public be involved? The first step, we have a pre-application meeting with the applicant. We recommend they reach out to the public. So the first step would be public outreach. Um, a lot of times they'll have open houses or they'll provide mailed notice. But to reach out to the public, get their input ahead of time, which some of that has occurred with this rezoning if the site plan was going to follow pretty quickly. 
The public is required to be notified of, of the site plan submittal before it's submitted. The applicant mails notice to um, neighbors or property owners within 400 feet and to the neighborhood association, letting them know that they will be submitting a site plan. And it provides the planning office information. Once the site plan has been submitted, um, the yellow signs are posted. And so people traveling through the area or people in the nearby area are aware of the activity so they can contact the planning office if they're interested. When the site plans come to us, we distribute them for review. They go to our plan review committee. If property owners have contacted us, we also provide them with copies of the site plan. And then we collect comments. Uh, we get comments from our plan review committee. Uh, we get comments from property owners. We relay those on to the applicant. Um, sometimes we'll make recommendations for changes based on these comments and then they'll provide revised plans. And then these are distributed again for review to the plan review committee as well as the members of the public that contacted us. So at the point that uh, the major comments have been addressed, the site plan administrative determination would be made, whether it's for approval, approval with conditions, or denial. And then there is a nine-day appeal period. So members of the public that have contacted us would be notified, the applicant would be notified, and so within those nine days, there is an appeal process where the determination can be appealed to the city commission, at which time they would then consider the site plan. So there's quite a lot of potential for public involvement in the review. And then the last uh, review criteria was a reasonableness of conditions. And we are recommending that condition. Uh, there's two conditions we're recommending. One is that there be a 50-foot wide buffer area on the west and the south. And the second is that this the natural vegetation be maintained. Primarily the trees, but the undergrowth would be very helpful as well. Be maintained as much as possible. Along the west side of the property, there is a 10-foot utility easement, so it's understood the trees won't be maintained in that area. Uh, but we'd want to see the trees maintained as much as possible to provide an effective buffer. And this would facilitate a clear policy in the comprehensive plan of a, a compatible transition. It would also minimize that negative externality. It would be buffering the intense use and the bigger buildings. Uh, it cannot be achieved to the lesser change table, and it would not allow an increased intensity. So in staff's opinion, the condition is very reasonable. Uh, we did receive numbers of communications. I attempted to go through and just pick what some of the most general comments that I heard throughout the communications. Um, one was who will pay for the needed improvements uh, to the street improvements and the extension of the utilities. Uh, these kind of improvements are the responsibility of the developer. <clears throat> and so it would be their uh, requirement to pay for those. Um, will removing the tower disrupt cell service? I believe this is a television. It was a TV broadcasting tower. I didn't find any records of any cell antennas being added to that, so I don't believe that will disrupt cell service. Uh, another one is protection of stands of mature trees. Uh, there's concern with that on the property. And also the increased traffic through the neighborhood, and I am going to discuss those when we look at the concept plan again. The uh, development code does require that we protect environmentally sensitive lands, and it lists the sensitive lands we're required to protect in the order of priority. So it starts out with the floodplain, the regulatory floodway, and the floodway fringe, and then wetlands. Um, we don't have any of those on the property. And then stream corridors. And well, we do have wetlands. The uh, Fish and Wildlife Division identifies this stream as a um, wet wetland. So we have the wetland and the stream corridor. 
And then we have Stanton and Jewel Trees. And then it also, the last one is the um, listed historical or archaeological sites. Um, the amount that we're re allowed to require protection is up to 20% of the total site. So this allows us to protect environmentally sensitive lands without being a taking, you know, taking the development rights of the property. So when the stream corridor size is calculated, that comes up to about two acres. And um, I think about four acres, maybe five acres would be 20% of the site. So there'd be additional tree protection required in this area, and then also possibly right alongside the stream corridor or elsewhere in the site until we come up to that 20%. But we would be protecting environmentally sensitive lands to the amount that's uh, permitted by code. And there was a lot of concerns raised in the comments about traffic heading through the neighborhood. Originally, our comment had been to go ahead and, and put these roads through to connect to 15th Street. Planning, you know, connectivity is very important to planning. However, it's obviously not appropriate to have streets cut through this an apartment complex. And so the fire department indicated they would be able to do emergency access if these roads were gated, uh, but allowed emergency access only. And MSO, the Municipal Services and Operations, indicated that would be acceptable if these um, terminated in cul-de-sacs so that um, it would be possible to turn around. You, know, you don't want to end in just a dead end. So these would be some changes that would have to be made. Um, while this is a concept plan, the access has been discussed pretty thoroughly, and I think the access um, would remain on 15th Street rather than going through the neighborhood. <clears throat> and as far as the improvements to 15th Street, those would be determined with the site plan review. When we do site plans, we require specific studies. Uh, we require a traffic impact study that determines how many trips a day are we expecting, how big is the road it's going onto, do we need turn lanes, do we need additional lanes? What kind of improvements are needed? Um, this tells you what kind of improvements are needed. It might also tell you if the project needs to be scaled down to fit to the roadway. And um, some of the municipal services and operations engineers agreed to be here today if you have questions on improvements to 15th Street. And they're here and they could answer your questions. And um, we also require drainage studies. Um, and they could provide information on that, but the intent is you don't let any more stormwater flow off the property when it's developed, then float off before development. And so the drainage study tells us how much detention is necessary and, and where would it be, what kind of stormwater management measures would be taken. And then there is finally a downstream sanitary sewer analysis, and that evaluates the sewer capacity to see if the sewer lines can handle this new development. <clears throat> if not, the improvements are, again, the responsibility financially of the developer. Uh, the apartments would alter the character of the area. Uh, the apartments would be a new feature in the area and it would add the multi-dwelling component. So there would be a change in their character. Being on the east side next to the future um, utility use, the municipal services and operations campus, uh, it would be a logical transition area. So it would be compatible with the character of the area, but there would be a change due to the location of the apartments. Again, traffic on 15th Street, um, as I mentioned, we have some engineers here today that can discuss that. And the site topography. The site topography would be challenging. And it will be challenging regardless if it's single dwelling residential or multi-dwelling residential. And um, just how many dwellings can be developed on this property would be dependent on the soil studies and the engineering work that would be done with the site plan. 
Again, these are the rezoning review criteria. If you'd like to review those, these are from the development code for rezonings. And staff's recommendation is to forward this rezoning request um, to the city commission with a recommendation for approval based on the findings in the staff report and subject to the conditions listed in the report, uh, that being one, that 50 foot wide buffer along the west and south property lines. And the second is the preservation of existing trees and vegetation in this buffer to the maximum extent possible. And so I will close out here. That's the end of my presentation. And I do believe the applicant is uh, available today as well. Mary, thank you. When we uh, finish public comment and we come back to the commission, I'd appreciate if you'd put that review criteria slide back up. Um, before I ask the applicant to jump in, I just want to ask everyone in the room to please keep uh, conversations um, well, to non-existent inside the room, please. If you need to have a conversation, please go out in the foyer. Thank you. Is the applicant here? Yep. Aye, please. Thank you. Good evening. Uh, my name is Josh Adrian. I'm with the Prime Company. Um, we have uh, some slides we sent in to, to, to show, although Mary did an excellent job of walking through uh, the project uh, quite thoroughly. Uh, but we are, we are a development company that's based out of Kansas, and we have not been able to uh, develop any projects in Kansas for the last 10 years. We've developed almost solely in California, Texas, Colorado, in Florida, uh, but in 2022, Governor Kelly passed a, uh, a new tax credit uh, incentive from the state that really has opened up the door for projects to be done in Kansas, which made us very happy to be able to do things here in our own communities. And uh, when we went to look to start to see where we could do uh, projects at, and we saw that Lawrence had a, a self-imposed uh, sales tax to help with affordable housing, we were excited to be able to partner with the community that's looking for affordable housing to the point that they would even tax themselves to be able to do that. Uh, and then when we read through uh, all the things in your comprehensive plan there, the desires for affordable housing, um, that got us really excited to look for and find a, a great site uh, in Lawrence, which we feel like we have found here. Um, and so with that, that's when we went to the neighborhood uh, with the 500 plus units, because what we saw and, and envisioned was that the city was in dire need of affordable housing and we wanted to provide as much as we could. Uh, as that went to uh, through the neighborhood process, we, we heard what they were saying, we listened to them, and so we added that 50-foot buffer and we shrunk, uh, shrunk our numbers down to the numbers that, that Mary went through. I don't know if you have that, uh, those slides to, to show here. Oh, sorry, the, the, I'd sent off a, a PowerPoint today. That's the one I was referring to. Do you have that PowerPoint available, Mary? Being loaded on the computer, I think, um, Denny or Kurt, you have a, a PowerPoint? The, the one we loaded was for the, the public, for Chuck Mongrel, or for the uh, neighborhood. Hmm. Yeah, I did not see a PowerPoint come through. Okay. Well, uh, we'll. Sorry. We'll, My apologies, we'll, sir. Can you, can you try we'll to talk do, us through? We'll do without it. I think you know Mary went through that all uh, very, very well. Um, 
so some of the things that make our company a little bit unique and a little bit different is that uh, the Prime Company, our mission is we exist to honor Jesus through our real estate development. And that's very important to us. Uh, and one of the things that we do uh, that goes along with that that we think is a real uh, blessing to our residents is we have a, a um, nonprofit called Resident Life that we put on all of our apartment complexes that puts a couple of people there whose job is to throw events and build community amongst the residents at the apartment complex, making it a, a great and desirable place to live. And so they do things like throw farmers markets uh, once a month and uh, board game nights and just different kinds of things to build community and, and make it a desirable place to live. And we think that makes us a little bit different than the, than the average developer out there uh, doing a program uh, like that. Um, when it comes to the affordable housing uh, aspect of this, it's, um, uh, it, it's an it's an important need, as you guys have, have demonstrated. Uh, I think it's an important need and I, uh, because I benefited from it. When I graduated from college, I was able to live in an affordable housing complex over in Manhattan, and I made $22,000 a year. And without that, I would have never been able to pay off my school debt and be able to become uh, a person that's financially independent in our community at an earlier age. And so when I look at a project of this size and scope, and I see there's going to be 360 uh, uh, some odd apartments there. To me, I, that looks like being able to free up a lot of people to have extra income that either they can spend in the shops in the communities here in Lawrence or that they can save and be able to use to put a down payment on a home in the future. And I think that is a really amazing uh, benefit that, that projects like this get to give to our communities. Um, You know, one of the things that Mary did a pretty good job of showing, but I would I would add to is just with the woodland, uh, leaving that in there, uh, with that stream corridor and that 50-foot uh, buffer, that still allows uh, animal movement through through the neighborhood there, from the agricultural out through the creek bed and into the city, and so we had delineated that, um, and then pulling the buildings back. Uh, from from the neighborhood is also something that we heard, you know, pretty strongly from the neighbors not wanting to have uh, people looking down into their properties, and so we tried to pull those back as much as we could. Um, and you know, we we wanted to try to to listen to the neighbors as as well as we can to be able to 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 hear what they have to say and input that, while at the same time we still need to provide you know, a lot of housing for the city and still you know, make it a viable project for us as a developer. And so we feel like we've struck a balance here with that pretty nicely. Um, and we really appreciate uh, city staff um, and their recommendation to approve this. And I'll be available for any questions. Thank you, name's Chris, correct? Sorry, I'm Josh. Josh. Chris is, Chris is on the uh, Zoom call. I got you, all right. Um, there's a couple minutes left. Are you, are you done with your, yeah. okay. So what I would ask is we're gonna move to, to a public comment now. And when that's uh, complete, you'll have five minutes that you can come back. And I'll just ask staff if we could take a look at email and see if we can find uh, a PowerPoint that was sent in and get that ready in case you want to use that when okay. you, yeah. Um, uh, come back around and we can uh, I want to be fair to you so we're, we're scheduled for five minutes and we'll allow a couple minutes extra to make sure that you've got the time to respond correctly all right thank you you bet all right as we get into public comment tonight um, a couple things I want to ask um, a reminder um, we are here tonight this is a city business meeting 
Um, and I'm going to ask us all to, uh, to understand that and respect that. Um, I'm going to ask you to please keep all comments directed only to the uh, uh, planning commissioners. Um, I'm going to ask that, and I know I don't have to say this, everybody will do this, but please be respectful um, to everyone that's in the room, what, no matter which side of the question that you're on. Please no applause, please no uh, disparaging comments. Um, if you would please cue, um, and uh, that way as, as people want to come through, we'll, we'll be able to uh, uh, more quickly accommodate everyone here that wants to speak tonight. So I hope those are fair asks. And with that, um, let's go ahead and get started. Please state your name. You'll have three minutes, and uh, let's go. Good evening. My name is Sharon Davis. I live at 17th and Genesee. My home faces the area being under consideration for rezoning. I first want to thank all of you who have visited our neighborhoods that will be affected and who took the time to read the many letters and comments that were shared by concerned citizens. Your dedication and service does not go unnoticed. My husband Craig and I have lived in the neighborhood for 17 years. We have lived in East Lawrence for 50 years, raising our family in other areas there. We have watched many changes. Double density homes are now scattered throughout the Brook Creek neighborhood. Two lots, each with multiple homes, are currently under construction near 17th and Harper. We are not against density or infill if within reason. Our immediate neighborhood has grown, becoming a welcoming, peaceful, and close-knit place, filled with low to moderate income homes. Included are Habitat to Humanity, tenants to homeowners, a children's shelter, and many single-family, mostly owner-owned homes. Lawrence desperately needs more single-dwelling homes. The rezoning would remove single-family lots that could be developed. We would welcome new homeowners to share what we have to enjoy. Lawrence already has many mega apartments. We have joined Junction City and Manhattan as the dubious group of three cities in Kansas that are majority rental residents. This does not make for a strong community and city. The proposed apartment would abruptly and drastically drop neighborhood home ownership from 80% to 42%. The character would radically change. One of the core questions in Plan 2040 is how does the proposal reflect the adjacent neighborhood's desired outcome? That answer is obvious. As you can see from the data and the neighbor's comments, this proposal destroys the neighborhood desired outcome. Like you, we have jobs, families, and community commitments, but have taken time to join together to try to protect our wonderful neighborhoods and the quality of life here. We believe we have that in common with you and with many, many others in our city. We appreciate and acknowledge your important role in guiding Lawrence to truly value neighborhoods and community. We are grateful for the solid guidance crafted by the community over the years that produced the goals in Plan 2040. There are specific details for making important decisions, and we'll talk about these this evening. Please don't decide that single-family neighborhoods need to be sacrificed to make more mega-apartment complexes. This plan is simply not appropriate. Thank you. Thank you. 
Well, Mr. Magrill. Good evening, commissioners, and thank you for the opportunity to be part of your decision-making process. I'm Chuck Magrill, and I've been an immediate neighbor of the 15th Street property for over 40 years. In discussion with folks in our community about this proposal, several questions have emerged, including some that you may share. It's been suggested this development will benefit from improvements to 15th Street with the construction of the MSO campus to the east. However, the plan for the MSO states that the vehicle traffic with the site will access through 23rd Street and 19th Street, with 15th Street used for emergency access and occasional maintenance access. There's no provision in the recently adopted 2024-2028 Capital Improvement Plan for reconstruction of 15th Street. Other questions speculate about the impact of new residents associated with the Panasonic factory in DeSoto. Since many, if not most, of the jobs at the factory are expected to be filled with area workers, new residents will be limited. And with other communities in the mix, Lawrence has been mentioned as likely attracting 80 to 125 new residents from that project, with most being employees looking for single-family homes, not affordable housing apartments. We know the shortage of single-family homes is the most limiting in our community with desire for single-family homes five times greater than rental demand. With comments you may have read in some of the letters from the Lawrence residents, the mention of the immediate proximity to the Burlington Northern Santa Fe tracks emerges several times. It's particularly highlighted with concerns about stormwater runoff and the constriction at the tracks where the creek is channeled through the culverts. The BNSF does not show up on the nearby property owner's notification list as required with this project. Given the concerns with the floodway expansion of the tracks, hopefully they have indeed been notified so they can comment with any concern. In multiple locations in the staff report on this proposal, there was mention of setback requirements, but it seems possible there is a requirement in the development code that was not referenced. As you can see, tall RM buildings adjacent to RS property have a requirement associated with building height, not simply the basic grid for setback distances mentioned in the report. So likely, the extraordinary setback mentioned is merely going from the required 45 feet to 50 feet. Not that extraordinary overall. Finally, as I'm sure you read in the staff report, much of what you see in the concept plan will not be acceptable in the actual development of the project. Driveway access on 15th, parking design and location, emergency access, and stormwater retention, all will need to have significant changes to comply with code. In fact, you should not feel comfortable about making any decisions based on what is presented to you as a concept. The details of this project have not been cared for. Thank you for your attention you provide to those of us who call this place home. Thank you, sir. Yes. Hi, good evening, Michael Allman, Vice President of the Brook Creek Neighborhood Association. Staff neglected to reference the Brook Creek uh, Neighborhood Plan, which defines this as primarily a single dwelling, small lot neighborhood with low profile compatible multi dwelling housing. We average around 70% owner occupancy, 82% 
and the adjacent uh, subdivision, a model of low moderate income affordable single dwelling housing. RM32 zoning is incompatible with our plan and with plan 2040. This proposal violates Plan 2040 Chapter 3B Goal 6.1, that of locating development in appropriate locations. The surrounding infrastructure cannot serve 700 plus new bedrooms. It's two plus miles from schools, the goal is a half mile, and it's more than 15 minute walk to transit and basic needs. The RM32 zoning is such a jump in density that it closes out opportunities for more small lot affordable housing, which is a Plan 2040 key priority under Chapter 3B Goal 7.3. Plan 2040 Chapter 3B Goal 8 requires projects to maximize the use of existing infrastructure to reduce civil costs. This RM32 scale project exceeds the capacity of existing infrastructure. Goal 8 also says the transition between different housing types shall be compatible in density and scale and appropriately mixed into the larger neighborhood. Unlike present multi-dwelling projects in Brook Creek neighborhood, this RM32 scale zoning would dwarf our well-integrated apartments and townhomes. All the infrastructure surrounding the rezoning site, streets, water, sanitary sewer, are of a capacity to serve single dwelling zoning. Subdivision streets are only 26 feet wide with parking on both sides. 15th Street is only 22 feet wide with uh, no shoulders. And the sanitary sewer is only six inches, unable to handle a 300% increase. Calling this project infill is a misnomer because infill is intended to make use of existing infrastructure. This is new construction on the perimeter of the city. Um, just like any new construction that requires expanded infrastructure, including 15th Street. As such, the code requires a developer to pay for all new infrastructure. This dense project would dangerously overwhelm East 15th Street. It's 22 feet wide, uh, sh without shoulders, poor sight distances, and the main line for the railroad. The project would be unduly remote to all city destinations, and it's an equity issue for the approximately 25% of adult population that do not drive and cannot get to service. We'd ask you to wrap up, please. Thank you very much. Thanks, sir. Hi, my name is John Emery. I have lived on East 17th Street since 2019. We love our house, which backs up to the property in question. It's a beautiful place to live, only exceeded by the character of the neighborhood. In the application, the developer describes the character of the neighborhood as residential, missing a lot of the details. It's like saying the location of this development is in Lawrence. Technically true, but lacking details. To us, character involves the distinguishing nature of the place, and our neighborhood has character that's been built in for decades. Our neighborhood has truly enviable diversity, age, ethnicity, gender, and income levels. And one of the remarkable strengths is the number of owner-occupied homes. With the properties in the notification area, over 80% are owner-occupied. Most of us know each other by sight. While a wooded buffer 
from the neighborhood, neighbors' backyards may sound significant on paper. If he visualized the reality, I think he would share with us the belief it would not do much to protect our homes from the negative visual impact of this massive apartments. And that extraordinary setback was praised by staff. As you heard earlier, they failed to accurately report the code requirement setback with this project. The tree line is not actually the property line. The property line is likely 12 to 15 feet closer to the houses on the south. So a 50-foot setback would leave at least, at most, 20 to 25 feet of trees. This looks like Godzilla looking over our quiet neighborhood. You can see for yourself the difference between the required 45-foot setback and the 50-foot setback that's being praised by staff. Standing in your backyard and looking at the difference, would you describe it as extraordinary? As a mature neighborhood, our population has remained rather steady in the past two decades. This project would increase our neighborhood population by 88%. That's a huge impact on the character of our place. Finally, a review of the impact will show you our traffic count on 15th Street will more than double. The three-story apartment blocks will not be compatible with our neighborhood scale. The residential density will increase an extraordinary 826% above the density of the residential area around it. This proposal fails all references of our community uses to define compatibility. Thanks to all of you for your time. You've taken to meet here, to read our letters, and to visit our neighborhood. Thank you, sir. Good evening, commissioners. My name is Ron Helmick. I live on the north side of 15th Street, across from the proposed development. I've lived there since I had a full head of dark hair. On my land, Kansas stone fence posts and a mature stand of native grasses define my values. I adamantly opposed the rezoning of the land in question. The wisdom of the Planning Commission is currently correct. Low density. For hundreds of reasons, increased density in this area would be like but it'd be like posting a 100 mile an hour speed limit in a school zone. What could possibly go wrong with that? I specifically wish to address the drainage issues on my land on, and further downstream. The land is rugged, steep, with slopes similar to those in the Ozark Mountains. After heavy rains, water levels will rise to near the top of 15th Street, and I've seen it flooded two or three times. A high-density project will strip the land of trees and vegetation, which absorbs millions of gallons of water annually. Add to that impervious rooftops, pavement, and big problems loom. With steep slopes, water will flow exponentially faster, and the volume of water will increase significantly. This is a real issue. We've got to consider two important factors, the two Vs. Velocity and volume. The volume, ma the map indicates the floodplain, and you can see it cuts right through my ground, and, uh, and it's generated from upstream where the development would be. Uh, the result would be flooding on my ground, and that's not good. Increased water volume fosters erosion and land loss. 
Velocity, currently under 15th Street, is a large culvert. A short 100 yards downstream, the creek flows under the BNSF rail line, and the rail culvert has less than 50% of the capacity of the 15th Street culvert. Uh, and BNS is required, as Chuck mentioned, to be notified of this rezoning proposal, and it's not clear to me that they have been notified. Is anybody here from BNSF by chance? Okay. So we all, we all know what risky uh, assumptions are risky. However, let's talk, talk about the assumption if a washed out railroad track, BNSF and Amtrak, uh, would uh, cross a washed out culvert, that could be a real disaster. Increased water volume and velocity with inadequate downstream infrastructure will erode downstream land much more severely and impact drainage to the Kansas River 800 yards to the north. Ron, I need to ask you to wrap up, please. Okay. Finally, let's just do remember this. Let's all remember that gravity is not just a good idea, it's the law. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. <clears throat> Good evening, commissioners. My name is Angel Eichler. I'm an educational background in geology, and I've lived on Matthew Terrace for nearly a decade. This evening, I'm going to discuss sensitive lands and how rezoning this property to RM32 is in direct conflict with the goals laid out in the city of Lawrence's Plan 2040. The focus of Plan 2040 is to ensure that growth and development is obtained in a smart, sensible, and sustainable manner, to preserve natural land resources, to assure continuity throughout our ecosystem, to protect and enhance our natural environment. Chapter 2 of Plan 2040 focuses on our ecosystem services and how vital they are to the community, in particular sensitive lands. Plan 2040 seeks to maintain, sustain, protect, and preserve sensitive lands. This property, which you are considering rezoning, includes several key components of sensitive lands, such as an old oak growth stand in native woodlands, habitat for countless animals, an urban tree canopy, and stream corridor. I will focus on one aspect in particular, steep slope. In Plan 2040, the city of Lawrence defines steep slope as an area characterized by a change in elevation of 15%. Using a USGS, topographic map, we can easily calculate the slope throughout the property. When we do so, we find numerous areas where the slope is greater than 15%. Coincidentally, these are areas of proposed building construction. In some location, the steepness reaches to an astounding 22% slope. For comparison, the hill between the football stadium and the Campanile is an only 12% slope. As you know, when you look at a topographic map, the one displayed here, uh, you'll see contour lines. Contour lines indicate elevation. Anytime you see contour lines when they're spaced closely together, this denotes areas of steep slope. This property is essentially the definition of steep slope. Plan 2040 clearly states we must minimize change to natural topography. Under RM32 zoning, this cannot be done. You cannot maintain, sustain, and preserve the steep slope of the property at an RM32 zoning level. This area simply cannot accommodate RM32 zoning without significantly altering the terrain. I cannot make this any simpler. If you adhere to the goals of Plan 2040 to preserve sensitive lands and to maintain steep slope, you cannot approve rezoning from the current RS10 to RM32 zoning. 
As a group, we welcome growth and development under the current RS10 zoning because you can work with the land in a smart, sensible, sustainable approach, meeting the goals outlined in Plan 2040. You cannot protect the sensitive land under RM32 zoning. This is the current site plan. Anybody can draw boxes on a piece of paper, and you can change these boxes around as much as you'd like. But this, this is the topography of the land. You cannot change this. This is not what the plan 2040 is supposed to do. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening. Good evening. My name is Kate Deneen, and I have lived across the street from the property proposed for rezoning from single family to high density housing for over 30 years. I have lived in Lawrence and Douglas County a large part of my life since the 1960s and have witnessed a lot of change, some well thought out and some where it was not. Over those years, our community has created plans to more thoughtfully approach what happens with development and its impact on our spaces. Chapter two of the current plan, Plan 2040, focuses on preserving and protecting our natural ecosystems, which includes our diminishing woodlands. Section 2.3 states, as you can see, protect the urban tree canopy throughout Lawrence. The property in question is remarkable for its big trees. Old oaks on the hill are part of the canopy found in the surrounding environs, including the aptly named Oak Hill Cemetery. There are at least 20 very large trees on the property, magnificent grandmother trees, so large that you cannot reach around them. In addition, the property has at least 32 species of trees, shrubs, and woody vines. And all of this is home to many non-human creatures who have lost habitat on this hot side of town with the 23rd Street K-10 construction and the 2019 tornado. Some trees were recently cut on the subject property, most valuable, mostly valuable walnut trees as well as some oak. The stump of one, a big burr oak, has 250 rings, showing this tree was here before the U.S. was even a country. At least 15 very large oaks remain of this 200-year-plus age. This property should be developed with an eye to preserving these historic old trees. Even with the best of intentions, the two grandmother trees, which would presumably be left to stand in the buffer zone, would still be under a high risk of destruction as cement trucks, bulldozers, and other heavy construction vehicles access the property, potentially irreversibly damaging their root structures. The acreage question is heavily wooded, basically ravine with steep slopes, as you've been hearing, to the east and west. Some see this as a vacant lot ripe for the plucking, Others see it as the habitat of many forms of plant and animal life, a vibrant part of the neighborhood, giving the people in the area a chance to enjoy the wildlife, benefit from the shade, and mental de-stressing which nature provides, not to mention the benefits of the mature woodland to suck up carbon dioxide. From our perspective, this zoning change on the city-county border would not be a community benefit. Thank you, and I would like to thank all of you who came out and actually looked at the property. We really appreciate the fact that you took the time to do that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hi. <clears throat> Good evening. Good evening. I'm Joe Taylor Rosa Molinar. My husband and I live at 1618 Genesee. We truly appreciate your willingness to hear from us and our concerns. 
If you look at the map, you'll see that red marks major um, streets, green marks the minor arterial streets, and the brown marks what is called um, collector streets. If you keep this in mind as I proceed, it, it might help uh, understand my concerns. Since households in Lawrence own an average of two cars per family, rezoning will make a, a tremendous difference uh, and it will bring many more than the proposed 400 cars to already busy streets. According to DOT USFIC data, the section of 15th to be rezoned will experience a 125 to 296 six percent increase in traffic depending on the households in in the apartments the property to be rezoned is 1.4 mile 1.4 miles from a major arterial that's 23rd uh, and it's reached by harper uh, which is one of the the collector streets just east of haskell on the map from from 23rd to 19th street harper is um, 30, 30 feet wide, no parking on either side is required, primarily because the, the, the Douglas County uh, fairgrounds are there, there's a fire station there. When you reach 15th Street, Harper is reduced to 26 feet and houses line both sides of Harper and cars, regardless of the time of day or night that you travel there, cars are parked on both sides of the street. Directly west of the minor arterial that we're discussing, there are two residential roads coming out of our neighborhood, Wedgwood and Lindenwood. They are very narrow, cars parked on the streets night and day. Now, supposedly, those streets would not be used, but I think you're aware that traffic is kind of like water, it flows where it can go. That is a concern. Also, you'll notice that the property to be rezoned is located on a minor arterial street that has no shoulders, no sidewalks. It has hills and a steep downgrade. Today, if you are trying to enter 15th Street from the south, you would exercise a great deal of caution. The hills from to the east obstruct your vision, and the existing traffic makes you have to be particularly vigilant and hurl yourself out there at the, the proper moment. Ma'am, I need to ask you to wrap up, please. Okay. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is that there are safety concerns, traffic related to traffic, <clears throat> in and around the neighborhood. It will be dramatically increased with... Thank you additional cars. Thank you, ma'am. Sure. Thank you. My name is Paul Gottesburen, and I own a home that abuts this property to the south. Uh, the surrounding properties are currently quiet, experience low traffic, and the single family nature of these neighborhoods promotes positive neighborly interactions. 
rezoning the subject property from single family dwellings to the highest multifamily residential density permitted would allow for complexes to be built, which will drastically increase the light pollution from security lighting or shining through the numerous apartment windows and would destroy the peaceful nature of the area. The sounds of kids playing in the streets, birds chirping in the trees, and the occasional vehicle traffic during the day, and the sounds of nocturnal animals and wind blowing through the trees at night would be replaced with the noise created by hundreds of people crammed into 17 acres to include the sounds of comings and goings at all hours of the day and night and more, easily enough to wake the residents of the adjacent cemeteries. The creation of so many additional living units will create a significant increase in vehicular traffic on surrounding streets. The current street infrastructure here is adequate for the existing low density dwelling units, but is not at all sufficient for the increased traffic associated with the developer's proposal. The significant volume of added traffic will increase incidents of vehicle accidents, including car versus pedestrian injuries. In the current neighborhoods, everyone is friendly and cares for their neighbors. The addition of several hundred new non-owner residents will disrupt the strong neighborhood bonds and decrease the sense of connection within the neighborhood. This project will abruptly convert this neighborhood from a homeowner neighborhood to a rental neighborhood. The radical plunge in the neighborhood from 80% homeowners to 42% homeowners would be just the immediate change. The loss of character in the neighborhood would continue the erosion of this shift as current owners depart the neighborhood. One of the core questions posed in Plan 2040, how does the proposal reflect the adjacent neighborhood's desired outcomes, is obvious. As you can see from the data and the neighbor's comments, this proposal destroys the neighborhood's desired outcome. As has been pointed out elsewhere, the elimination of earthen surfaces and plants to support water infiltration and replacing those with swaths of impervious concrete and buildings will make instances of flooding for downstream roads and properties more common, putting residents and property at risk. Joni Mitchell in her big yellow taxi describes it well, although I won't subject you to my lack of singing ability. Don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone, they paved paradise and put up a parking lot. Our neighbors know what we've got, how about you? Next slide. Uh, to comment on the history of the subject property, I'd like to note that it was acquired by the Simmons family in the 60s, but not, has not sat vacant for that time. The property has served to support communications operations associated with the local television services. Need to ask you to wrap up, please. Um, and at the moment, the communications tower is still operational on that property. Right. Thank, Thank you. you, sir. Thank you very much. Hello, my name is Andrew Suddeth. I live north of 15th Street, adjacent to the current the property under proposed to be rezoned, um, which has no extraordinary buffer planned. Um, the city has gone and looked at the requirement for multi-dwelling homes in, Kansas, in Lawrence. And as noted, we currently have enough zoning in the city to provide multi-dwelling multi homes till 2038. There may not be a need to rezone from the current RS-10 to RM-32. We have also just had completed a new affordable housing lot, the Union at the Loop. That, you, as we can see here, this apartment complex is currently approximately 70% empty despite being open for residents for multiple months. The developer has purported to reach 10 
of our Plan 2040 goals. We tonight have shown that they do not, in fact, while they have purported to have 10 goals met, seven of those are not truly met when you look at the facts. In addition to that, making their own goals, we can tell that they have not met eight of the goals found in Chapter 2 of, chapter of Plan 2040 and an additional nine goals in Chapter 4. The question to us as a community and to you as our city planners is what is the most reasonable thing to do with this wonderful native woodland ecosystem that contains multiple types of sensitive lands, is located on the virtual edge or literal edge of the city at our urban rural interface. Is it best to redesign this plant land for high density housing? Or is it better to keep it as it's currently zoned and then keep this ecosystem available for everyone? Thank you. Thank you, sir. Hi, my name is Cal Butcher. I live at 2118 East 17th Street. Full disclosure, my backyard directly borders this property, so I, I appreciate the 50-foot buffer, roughly maybe the length of this room, three stories high. Those apartments are gonna look directly into my backyard and in my bedroom window. I don't think any of us really wants that. But I wanna devote my three minutes tonight to my biggest concern, which is traffic and safety. I have lived in Johnson County and commuted to Lawrence on K-10. I have dealt with heavy traffic during game day, rush hour, construction, it takes a lot. I have lived in West Lawrence. I have come in to work on 6th Street, where sometimes you have to catch one light, two lights, three cycles through a light before you can get through on 6th Street. 6th Street, K-10, Iowa Street to the south, north, over the bridge to the north to the interstate, those are all four-lane roads, two lanes each way. 15th Street is two lanes, one each way. Harper is two lanes, one each way. 19th is two lanes, one each way. These are smaller roads. I don't know how you can make 15th Street any wider. You've got the bike, bicycle lane, you've got the cemetery, you've got the overhead power lines, and the houses to the south are almost right up to that easement area. Don't know how you could do that, but if you do widen 15th Street, there's clearly no parking on 15th Street. So I also appreciate that the staff has blocked off the roads into the south neighborhoods by my house with a gated lock or a gated fence. The houses in this neighborhood do not have backyards. Where are all these people going to go? Where are they gonna park? 386 apartments. Let's just say 386 one-bedroom apartments. Husband and wife living in one bedroom. Single parent with a teenager, maybe one bedroom, two bedroom. Boyfriend, girlfriend, just out of school. They're all gonna have two cars. There we're talking maybe 500, 600 spots. I imagine these people are gonna have guests. Where are the guests gonna park? Not on 15th Street. If there's no room, they're gonna park in the neighborhood walk to the gate, hop the gate, maybe there's an entryway, they're gonna cut through backyards and cut through the woods and create a path to park there. It's just not feasible. Our roads in these neighborhoods are small. 
They are very narrow. They are also not gridded in squares and blocks. They are winding roads. One car is parked on the road, you have to slow down. Two cars parked on the road, you almost have to stop to go through the two cars safely. Make sure nobody's opening a door or closing a door. With children, trash day, it's just, to me, crazy. Need to ask you to wrap up, please. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Hi, good evening. Hi. I'm Beth Ann Heckler. I live in the 1200 block of Prospect and have lived there for about 40 years. My husband and I sent this letter to you as an email, but I wanted the listeners to hear our yeah. opinion. Um, in the first place, there's not enough street capacity to support the number of vehicles that will be, be associated with this project. There are not enough jobs in Lawrence, Kansas to support the tenants. There are, are enough empty bedroom rentals in Lawrence right now that Lawrence is not able to fill. This project is invading what has been a single family neighborhood for the past 100 years. Thus, the infrastructure has been built and provided accordingly. What will definitely accompany this project is traffic pollution, noise pollution, light pollution, and air pollution. Increasing taxes to widen 15th Street does not seem like smart use of our tax dollars. 15th Street is quite capable of managing the current demand without a problem. The new project will not pay back the taxpayers because the new tenants will not be able to find employment necessary to support the cost of new construction, and the new tenants will be spending their money elsewhere, which is customary with commuters. No local benefits of any consequence will be realized, certainly not in the neighborhood. Stormwater runoff will most certainly be a problem with this large project, so more tax increases will occur to attempt management of the stormwater runoff. Oak Hill Street will become a victim of cut through traffic into our peaceful neighborhood. Neighbors use Oak Hill for walking and there are no sidewalks on it, so increased traffic there is concerning. We selected this neighborhood 34 years ago and I've been paying our taxes ever since. It is and has been a peaceful single family neighborhood and we want to keep it that way. We cannot support tax dollar subsidies being spent on such large for-profit projects. We certainly don't authorize use of our tax dollars for this. There's a million dollar tax subsidy that has been requested and we request that this project be denied any tax dollar subsidies and rezoning. So thank you. Thank you. All right, there's one more person in the room. Please come up. And uh, uh, Allie, we're going to look online here um, after this person just to give them a little bit of a chance as well. Yes, please. All right. Good evening. Good evening. My name is Karen Bershu. I live at 1535 Wedgwood Street, Caddy Corner, from a house owned by one of the commissioners. Um, good evening. There is an imbalance in Lawrence between the construction of large apartment complexes, like the proposal here, and the pent-up demand for affordable single-family homes. This proposal would only exaggerate this misalignment. Earlier this month, Elliot Eisenberg, former senior economist with the National Association of Home Builders, reported on the problems in the multi-dwelling market. He noted, quote, while the single-family housing market is enjoying solid price appreciation, strong construction activity, and suffers from a severe lack of existing inventory, the multifamily market struggles mightily. 
Financing is increasingly difficult as vacancy rates and insurance premiums rise, rents decline, and mortgage rates increase. The market struggles to absorb substantial recent overbuilding, and public prices, I'm sorry, and prices are falling due to rising cap rates. As a result, starts have declined to sharp 41% year over year. End of quote. The Lawrence Journal World noted in an article about apartment developments in town that out-of-town companies have become more aggressive than long-standing local developers. They wrote, quote, local apartment developers have not completely ruled out projects in Lawrence, but it does appear that the locals and the out-of-town developers are viewing the Lawrence market a bit differently right now, end of quote. Finally, as the Lawrence Board of Realtors wrote in a recent letter to this planning commission, more opportunities for homeownership itself is a community benefit. Homeownership remains the single largest contributor to family and generational wealth in the United States. Study after study shows that homeownership equals housing stability, and that, in turn, correlates with better physical and mental health outcomes, greater civic engagement, reduced crime rates, and homeowners report higher life satisfaction and perceived control over their own lives. Studies show that children of homeowners are more likely to stay in school. They perform better in math and reading achievement. They display fewer behavioral problems in school and have more long-term success. Evidence bears out that homeownership has strong benefits for both individuals and the community at large. I end the quote. So with these thoughts in mind, I would think, wisdom would suggest we don't sacrifice single-family home opportunities for the sake of a speculative addition to our supply of apartment complexes. Please deny this application, please, and maintain the single-family zoning that is suitable and valuable at this location. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Looking online, I see Melinda Ball has her hand raised. Hi. Hi, Melinda. So um, thank you for your time. Um, I want to first support all my um, community members that just spoke before me and that I agree the rezoning should be denied. Um, I did find, I had a question actually, and maybe this could be answered or not, but, and maybe I'm understanding it incorrectly. So in the, in the, the description in the layout, there was a mention for emergency access. Um, and it looked like it would be in part through the 50 foot buffer. So I don't, if I'm wrong, I'm fine with being wrong, but it just seems like that would be cutting through that 50 foot buffer, which would then eliminate the section for emergency vehicles to access um, out of that 50 foot buffer. So I found that really interesting. And again, if I'm wrong, that's okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, this is more of a, a bigger comment in, in, in the infill and, and directed towards this, uh, this uh, proposal for apartments and, and maybe different types of multi-dwelling units is rather than finding areas that are already zoned for single dwelling unit areas that could we look at rezoning areas that are already maybe commercial and looking at rezoning those for multi-use because you drive down 23rd street there are several empty buildings vacant buildings and quite honestly it looks bad it's trashy in my opinion it's awful and we know that customer um no storefront usage is, is is less than it used to be online purchases and services are are the way of of the future and now i just 
I'm not well versed in zoning, but I, I just feel like if if that could be taken advantage of, there's already infra in infrastructure in place. There's grocery store on 23rd, multiple of those. I mean, it's walkable, it's pedestrian friendly. I just, it, it's it's hard to to want to support something that is a changing the the landscape as far as killing off all of the old growth trees, um, the insufficient uh, level of um, uh, topography to support what's being proposed. Um, I just, I just heavily, I'm heavily against this. So please, um, please vote this down. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Flowers. Hi, this is Chris Flowers, and I have a few thoughts. I'm going to be different in that I'm not, I don't live in the area, and I'm here speaking as a Lawrence resident. And one of the things I was, I, I, I tend to support this because um, I think we do need, um, a, we need more housing in Lawrence. Um, we need affordable housing. Um, and I don't know if you all have been following the homeless issue, but I believe the city has said the ultimate solution to our homeless issue is housing. And so I, that's why I'm supporting this. Um, also, I, and here's something else. Uh, people were talking about how there's no large apartment complexes out there. Well, doesn't that mean, I mean, I think that signifies that there could be a need for one. Like some people want to live in a big apartment complex. So where would they live out, live in one in East Lawrence? And let, let's say they're working in East Lawrence. Shouldn't they, I mean, shouldn't they have an option of living in an apartment complex somewhere in East Lawrence? Um, and also they're talking about how there's no, you can't walk to a grocery store. Um, wouldn't adding like 700 people, wouldn't that increase the chances of a grocery store being built out there? Wouldn't it increase the chances of sidewalks being built on some of these streets? Um, so I just want to throw that out there. And when it comes to the environment, I noticed people have been bringing up the environmental issues. Um, how, are any of the environmentalists, do they not live in that area? Because um, I'm just wondering, has like um, the Sunrise Movement or the Sierra Club, have any actual environmental groups said that this is going to be bad for the environment? Because I think it increases um, um, population density, which I think that's supposed to be good for the environment. So, I mean, if, you're, if you have 700 people living in this one area, is that better? for the environment as a whole, as opposed to those 700 people living in single family homes. Like how much area would that take to do that? Um, let's see what else I might have. Um, oh yeah. Um, when it comes to rental apart, like how we need single family homes, um, that's part of that problem is corporations buying up single family homes and renting them. So if, why don't, instead of not building this, we just limit the number of uh, single family homes big corporations can be allowed to own. So I, I just want to throw that out there. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Flowers. Take one more online, then we'll come back to the room, all right? Um, Hillary Carter. 
if I can, if I'm focusing right, is that right, Hillary? Okay. Good evening, Commissioners. My evening. name is Hillary Carter. I'm a resident of Lawrence. I'm speaking tonight to support the rezoning of the property at 2115 East 15th Street from single-family residential to multi-dwelling residential. Of late, the city has been engulfed in two issues, housing unaffordability and homelessness, which are deeply entwined. The answer to both is to increase the city's supply of housing, including subsidized and unsubsidized units. We have inherited a system of zoning that has produced a city that is unaffordable, inequitable, segregated, and sprawling. The good news is that the city is in the middle of a land development code update that can increase density on lots so that more housing can be built. The city can encourage development by promoting and allowing diverse housing types, loosening development requirements, granting by right up zoning to affordable housing projects, and eliminating parking minimums through land development reform. The proposed multifamily project at 2115 East 15th Street in East Lawrence has brought many residents out to oppose the development. While not unique to Lawrence, this troublesome pattern of, quote, not in my backyard or NIMBY and anti-renter attitudes from neighborhood residents and the owning class has historically wielded enormous power in local government decisions about future growth. All across the, uh, the United States, neighbors are invited to community engagement events about new developments in their neighborhoods. Homeowners disproportionately turn out in higher numbers at these meetings. Frequently, local residents decry multifamily development with concerns about how the project won't, quote, fit into the neighborhood, will increase car traffic, schools will be overburdened with more students, environmental concerns, or and or will burden aging infrastructure. These are all thinly veiled forms of classism and racism designed to keep low and moderate income households from having safe, secure, and accessible housing. The underlying message here is that multifamily development will depreciate the value of homeowners' personal wealth tied up in their single-family homes. Keep it out. We don't want those people in our neighbor to be our neighbors. Future residents cannot come out to support this development because, well, it doesn't exist. And they don't live there yet. Do not let the NIMBY voices here drown out the moral imperative the commission has to upsell the property. Prime Development has advertised that they plan to target rent that would serve households earning between 30% of AM area median income to 60% of AMI. This development will contribute significantly to increasing our city's supply of affordable housing, and by increasing the area density, it supports more sustainable growth. The planning and city commissioners have a duty to support, one, increasing density across the city through the land development code update, and two, approve rezoning applications, including this one for 2115 East 15th Street for new multifamily developments. I hope our community can work together to imagine a, a new and more just future for Lawrence, one that has an abundance of housing for families and more sustainable development patterns to support the place we call home. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you very much. Let's come back to the room. Yes, good evening. Good evening. Evening, commissioners. My name is Kelly Snyder, and I live on Matthew Terrace, two houses away from this proposed project. All of my neighbors tonight have done an excellent job laying out our united arguments against this rezoning decision. I would like to start with that point, that we are all united. Even those of us that can't be here tonight, there are hundreds in our community that all share the same concerns and have come to the same conclusions. These voices, the voices of Lawrence citizens, should far outweigh the opportunistic idea of one outside developer. Now I'd like to zoom out and remind you exactly why we are here tonight. In 1978, the Kansas Supreme Court ruled in Golden v. City of Overland Park that a governing body such as this 
shall make rezoning decisions based on factors enumerated by the lower courts. These eight factors are known as the golden factors, and this body, and others like it across the state, are legally bound to make decisions such as the one before you tonight on these factors. Any straying from this lawful decision-making process can be and has been pursued in court. Of these eight factors, it is my opinion that at least six will be violated if rezoning is approved. For brevity, I will focus on factor eight, the conformance of the requested change to the city's master or comprehensive plan. As a city employee in the LEAD program, I have a keen knowledge of exactly what key performance indicators in the strategic plan are not being met with this rezoning proposal. I will focus on just one of the strategic plan's outcome areas, strong and welcoming neighborhoods. This rezoning does not meet strong welcoming neighborhoods indicator three, percent of residential units within half a mile of a walking or biking trail, nor does it meet indicator four, percent of residents within a half mile of a school or library, nor does it meet indicator 13, connectivity of healthy food providers by transit, bike routes, or sidewalks. All of these indicators are already below target. Rezoning this property will only further hurt the city's goals. And this is just one outcome area and just one of the golden factors that you are legally required to consider when making your decision tonight. Lastly, I am a forester for the city of Lawrence. The loss of a dozen or more 250-year-old Quercus macrocarpa or burr oak trees is unfathomable. The current zoning of RS10 would allow for the careful placement of homes and a road to protect these magnificent giants. Rezoning to RM32 simply does not allow for the care these trees deserve. Indeed, approving the rezoning assures their annihilation. Both the city's strategic plan and plan 2040 call for us to protect ecosystems such as these. Why go against the golden factors and the city's own strategic plan as is required by law? Please vote against this proposed rezoning of the property. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, um, my name is Brian Farley, uh, 1609 Rhode Island. So I live on one of the four feeder streets for people going down 15th Street going to Dillon's. And obviously we already have a lot of traffic for people who are going to Dillon's down our residential streets. And of course this will just increase that, but that's really not my major point of why I'm here. I'm the founder of the 200 plus members of the Douglas County Taxpayers Association. And so taxation is our issue. And we know that there is a request here for a million dollars in affordable housing grant. Therefore, it's coming from taxpayer money. So therefore, that is a concern for our organization. What we've heard a lot about is due diligence on the project. And so we're not disputing the city's due diligence on the project as far as it you know, impacts on whether that rezoning request is appropriate. But our issue is, has there been any due diligence on the developer? In other words, they are asking for a million dollars of our tax money. And just like someone who's asking for a loan, you would do due diligence on that person to see if they were worthy of that loan. Has the city done due diligence on the developer? Now, we've only had four days to look at this. We, we were asked to look at this very light. And so, you know, our people have only had a small amount of time to do due diligence. But we have found some, you know, media reports that indicate some concern about projects developed by this developer in other states. Now, we don't know if any of that's true. 
and but we don't have information to give you about that tonight. But yeah, we would ask you to do some due diligence on this, and obviously that may or may not impact your decision tonight, but clearly we think it needs to be done, and we think the city should do it, whether this committee does it or whether a city does it. Some due diligence does need to be done there. Obviously, we intend to do our own due diligence and issue our report on that, but we would ask that you do that too. Thank you for your right. time. Thank you very much. And just uh, for those, uh, please, your, your, and just uh, for everyone else who might uh, care to comment, um, this body does not deal with tax incentives. Um, that's not a part of our scope um, in any way, shape, or form. So, yes. I'm Melanie Scott. I live at Melanie. 1500 London Wood, um, which is exactly ground zero for the planned road behind my house to exit this particular facility. I'm going to put it this way. You guys showed a big thing that supposedly had borders of trees separating this big project from all the houses. There were no trees between that area and my home and the home of my neighbors. There were no trees anywhere in that picture. We've also seen some pictures of all the trees that are currently there and how many trees will be left. And that's crazy. That's a lot of deforestation. Also, we are already in what is considered a food desert. We are more than two miles away from any grocery store. So you want to put a thousand more people needing groceries in a little teeny tiny area like that? I don't. And I am going to add something that nobody else has talked about, and that's crime. 15th and London Wood has in the past six months had three shootings with our current population. And in the past 15 years, we've had in our neighborhood murders, we've had arson, we've had vandalism. I don't like that. Our neighborhood is a nice, a nice community, but you add a thousand more people to that, and what's gonna happen? More crime, that's what's gonna happen. It's not because I think there's gonna be black people. One of my favorite neighbors was a black woman. She was wonderful. She left Lawrence because there weren't enough jobs in Lawrence. That made me very unhappy because she was a wonderful neighbor. And she was a renter, so it's not about renters either. It is about having buildings three stories tall looming over my house with a road right in my backyard and people destroying 15th Street, which isn't a great street to begin with. It's very difficult to get off 15th, onto 15th Street in the mornings. Adding 1,000 people to that is gonna make it impossible. Traffic is going to be a very big problem. It's not a good plan. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening. Hello, my name is Julie Dinning. I am business owner and homeowner from the Brook Creek neighborhood. And I'd just like to thank my friends and neighbors for coming out. And I would like to join them in imploring you to please deny this proposal from the developer. Uh, it is a very small neighborhood that is zoned for single housing and it's just not equipped in so many different facets to handle infrastructure like this. And I just hope that you will consider all of the thoughts of the people that are speaking before you today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Good evening. 
Good evening. My name is Carrie Golter. I am a lifelong Lawrence resident and have been a renter the vast majority of my adult life. I bought my house in 2021 on Matthew Terrace, and I will tell you, as you probably know, that was not an easy time to be buying a home, especially in this town. One of the biggest challenges for me was finding a home that was wheelchair accessible for my daughter. Lawrence is desperately lacking in wheelchair accessible housing. We were lucky enough to find a home on Matthew Terrace. Not only was it wheelchair accessible, we were near friends and family, and my daughter is able to navigate the neighborhood in her wheelchair without assistance. That was a huge factor for us. She's able to visit her friends who live up the street. The increase in traffic makes me very nervous for her to be able to use the sidewalks effectively, to be able to cross the streets without being hit. This is a huge problem in my opinion. And I know it's just one kid, but she's important to me. I also really worry about the students who are going to be living in that apartment complex because we know that they will be there and I want them to have the housing that they need. We also need to consider the fact that the nearest elementary school is Prairie Park, which is three miles away, which will require the school district, if they need busing, to bus them. They are outside of the walking limit. We probably all know that the school district right now is facing its own financial burdens and adding a huge section of kids that are going to need to be bused is not going to be very helpful. I strongly consider or ask that you consider declining this request. Thank, Thank you, you ma'am. Thank you. Right, good evening. Good evening. My name is Morgan Gottesbieren, and uh, I own a home that abuts the property proposed for redevelopment. And uh, while I am not a townie, I love this city that we have chose to make our home. In 2009, we had a toddler. We were expecting our second child and looking to buy a home. We are originally from DeSoto and made the conscious decision to move further away from our jobs and settle in Lawrence because we appreciated all that Lawrence had to offer our young family. Our first home was located on an extremely busy street. One, not unlike what is being proposed here, that had an abrupt transition from single family residential to apartments. Our kids took their first steps in that house. We saw many milestones in that home. We endured the COVID lockdowns in that house. But what we never did was allow them to be out in the front yard as the street was an absolute hazard. They learned to ride their bikes in empty parking lots on the KU campus. There were no other small children in the neighborhood to play with and even if doing so had, even if they had been, doing so was not an option. There was not even a sidewalk on our section of the street. When I look at the young families that surround us playing and riding bikes in the cul-de-sac and freely roaming our little piece of paradise in East Lawrence, I am both sad that my children never had that experience, but overjoyed that my neighbor's children can do this. We are relative newcomers to our neighborhood, purchasing our home in the late spring of 2021. But within hours of having the keys, we had neighbors and their children at our door introducing themselves. Honestly, it was strange at first because the house we moved from was not that kind of neighborhood. And while we have built a small community in Lawrence over the last 12 years, we never had a neighborhood community. Many of the homes in my neighborhood have welcoming front porches, porches 
And when the weather is good, it is not uncommon to see many neighbors sitting on those porches chatting with those passing by. This was a completely foreign world to us, coming from our old house and something I didn't know we wanted or needed. In our current car-centric and increasingly self-centered society, I believe neighborhoods like ours existed only in TV and movies. How wrong I was. This neighborhood is that neighborhood. We have a wonderfully diverse cross-section of individuals represented in our neighborhood, full of incredible people who look out for one another and take pride in our homes. That is the definition of a strong, welcoming neighborhood. You know, the kind of people that embody the beliefs that the developer claims to espouse. But make no mistake, this is purely a money-making enterprise clad in a thin veneer of religiosity. They are not here as an act of charity. They are here for the sole purpose of making money, and it is simple as that. They have no investment in our community beyond the dollar sign. I need to ask you to wrap up, please. Since this, public, this project became public knowledge, three homes have gone up for sale in the, in the immediate vicinity. We had planned to join them, but we owe it to ourselves, our amazing neighbors, and little kids getting experience that mine never did to stand sand, side by side with our neighbors and protect our little corner that Thank we you, have built together. Thank, Thank you, you. ma'am. All right, well, so let's, while you guys are figuring that out, is anybody else online that's uh, here to speak? If you are, raise your hand, please. Here you are, Paul. Patty. Patty, I'm sorry, bad eyes, Patty, I apologize for that. Can you unmute, Patty? Patty, you're, you're still muted. There you are. Hi, I'm Patty Lyon. Hi, Patty. And hi, how are you? <laughs> I've been in this neighborhood for 20 years. I'm a homeowner. And the thing I want to say about East Lawrence is it's a great combination. Because we have people in, in this neighborhood that are tenant to homeowners, that are Habitat for Humanity. We have people that. Um, drive in probably from, from Kansas City and other areas. It's very diverse. But one thing I notice about living on the east side of town is that we, even though we pay taxes and our renters pay taxes, whether people realize that or not, because renters' taxes are included in their rent, we do not get the benefits of West Lawrence. And my question is, why would you want to have such an expensive, project that's going to be supported by our taxes and is going to disrupt a neighborhood that's been established for over a hundred years when there are other spaces. Why is this not happening on the west side of town? My next question, and if I'm wrong with this information, is that on the west side of town at the links, that's um, also zoned as 32, is that correct? And that that is 70 acres. So the number of, of apartment complexes, if you've been out there, that are on 70 acres versus what you want to put on 17 acres makes absolutely no sense to me. I also am concerned about every single one of the issues that uh, my neighbors have brought up. I support them in that. I hope you will not approve this project. 
this is not an issue of the east side opposing economic and not wanting to support economic economic people who are lower class because many of us are lower class here i truly believe that we do need affordable housing there's no question about that and that it needs to happen. But I really need to question where you're considering putting it. And I do thank each and every one of you for, for being present and for listening to our many concerns. Thank you. Thank you. I don't see any other hands raised online right now. Do we know who's ready up here? Go ahead. Hi, good evening. Hi. Um, thank you for listening to all the public comments. Sure. My name is Lisa Harris Friedman. I live in the Barker neighborhood. And I'm here um, just comment on a few things about this uh, proposal. I believe that it is not compatible with the character of the area, the, the intense zoning. To go from very low density to the highest density, it just doesn't pencil out. It's not compatible. I'm concerned about drainage. I. I agree that topography is a challenge. Staff said so, many people have said so, and I think if the area were developed to a lower density, you'd have fewer problems. And you'd also have less impervious area um, to uh, contribute to the drainage. I noticed that there is no buffering from the neighborhood to the north on the plan. There was buffering on the west and south, um, which I think is inadequate, but nothing to the north, and there is a neighborhood across the street. Um, traffic safety is an issue there. I have ridden my bike on that street. I have walked on that street, and it is um, dangerous. Um, I would like to talk about the term NIMBY. Um, I'm not a fan of that term because um, it makes everybody who would have a concern about something in their area, and it's up to the city to notify those people, become this term, this label, NIMBY. Um, they have brought up le legitimate concerns, and I think they have a right to do so without being labeled. Um, there is a speaker in Kansas City who's speaking tonight, I wish I could have gone, who talked about that term and he said he really likes the term YIMBY instead. So yes, in my backyard. And tries to engage people in, in California where he works in coming up with solutions. And we do that in our city through neighborhood planning. And I would say that probably most everyone would not place a very large apartment complex in that area if they were to plan the increase in density in a whole area. So. Um, I hope that you will consider that in, in your deliberations. I thank you for your time. Please don't approve this. Thank you. Appreciate your comments very much. Hello, Mr. Gacious. Good evening. My name is Ron Gacious. I am not a neighboring property owner to this project. Uh, I have no personal or professional relationship with any organization or individual associated with this project. I come to you as a former five-year member and two-year chairman of the city's Affordable Housing Advisory Board to advocate for affordable housing. This project, judging from the neighbor's opposition, has some local concerns. 
Every project that comes before this planning commission and ultimately before the city commission has local concerns. Our strategic plan, the 2040 strategic plan, is deeply flawed in my opinion, and that it gives you no guidance on how to prioritize between environmental concerns, continuity of neighborhood, and desire to increase density and rely on infill development for residential development. It gives you no formula for how to weigh the priorities between affordable housing and the concerns that you've heard from the neighborhood today. Well, I can tell you that every single project you've had in front of you of any size that was an infill increased density project had water concerns, traffic concerns. They're always there. If we're going to support affordable housing, these kinds of projects need to be placed someplace in our community. I encourage you to consider this one. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Good evening, Good evening, Commissioners. Uh, my name is Rick Hurd. Uh, I'm not a resident of the area. Um, I live in rural Baldwin. Uh, I'm here as a member of the county uh, to, to tell you that it, as a former planning commissioner, as someone who watches these things fairly carefully, I think this would be really bad zoning policy. The reasons are many, but I'll just point to a couple that I think should enter into your calculation. One is, does it promote the through streets or walkable neighborhoods? And the answer is no, because as proposed, this 50-foot easement would be an actual barrier to any of that. What it would create is an island of density that is separate unto itself. It wouldn't be compatible with the neighborhood. It wouldn't be integrated into the neighborhood. The design confesses that. The second reason is, from a policy standpoint, the development code is replete with reference to transitional uses. Transitional uses between, between the highest density and the lowest density uses. In this case, you have RS7 and RS10 surrounding this property on two sides. You have agricultural across the road to the north. The project proposes no transitional type of structures between the apartments allowed by RM32 and the lower density housing. No duplexes, no townhomes, nothing that would soften the transition from the highest density to the lowest density. From a policy standpoint, I think it would be a bad idea to approve that application. This is a very interesting project, and the location is just very unique and was surprising, to be honest with you. RM32 doesn't belong out there. It belongs somewhere. And we do need affordable housing, no doubt. But this project does not belong in that location. And I think rezoning it to something as extreme as RM32 would be bad policy. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Good evening. Good evening. My name is Stephen Skay. I live at 1804 East 17th Street. I've lived there for 22 years. 
when we moved in, a lot of the neighborhood was not developed. Over the 22 years, we've had an entire housing addition added to 17th Street and at least seven more individual single housing units added to 17th Street for access. We live on a hill. As we back out of our driveway, our neighbor's trees block our view of 17th Street. It's becoming more and more dangerous to back out of our driveway. And I can't imagine hundreds of vehicles taking a shortcut down Wedgwood or Lindenwood to access Harper Drive to get to 23rd Street. I can't imagine trying to back out of my driveway with literally hundreds of vehicles driving down 17th Street using it as a shortcut. Secondly, I'd like to, I'd like to express my deep concerns. I'm an, I'm an IT project manager with KDOT. <laughs> I have a deep concern with traffic safety. We have emergencies that happen in our neighborhood. 17th Street is designed for two cars. If you have two cars side by uh, two cars on each side of the street, you cannot get an emergency vehicle down the middle of the road. Period. Even if you only have traffic interspaced on 17th Street, the emergency vehicles have to zigzag down that road to get to the location that they're attempting to get to. Combine that with a railroad crossing that's active within one block of the proposed high-density unit. Imagine 1,000 people crossing that railway crossing. Imagine an East Palestine incident happening where dangerous chemicals are spilled on a railway uh, tank. Imagine emergency management people trying to evacuate that particular location with a thousand people using two-lane roads, and you have a disaster on your hand. Also imagine this, that unit will house hundreds of children. Imagine placing hundreds of children unsupervised by adults within one block of a railroad track, and you might get an, you might get an idea of what potential fatalities will happen with a child playing around or along the railroad crossing. This location is not the right location for traffic safety to place a thousand people within a block of a railroad track. And I would advise the commission to do a traffic study with other cities that have that kind of density within one block of a railroad crossing. Thank you, sir. Okay, thank you. Appreciate you. Good evening. My name is Louise Pennywell and I live on 17th and Genesee. So I'm just right around the corner from where this will be built. Um, I have a couple concerns. First of all, I think some great points have been brought up tonight and I hope that you'll consider all of them because I totally agree that this is a poor choice of a location. I do feel that the housing in Lawrence, we definitely need to come up with good solutions for affordable housing. We need to find good solutions for housing the homeless. We've tried to quickly address some of these concerns and mistakes have been made along the way and we need to make sure that this isn't another one. 
I believe this developer has a good heart, wants to make a good project, but this is not the place to do it. I can tell you I have a terminal illness. I've lived on Genesee Street since 2005, and I've on numerous occasions had to call for an ambulance to transport me. And when they come up Genesee Street, there are, if a car is parked on both sides of the street, which has happened before, when emergency vehicle has come for me and they have had to back up on Genesee Street to go around to 17th to come up around the loop in order to get to my house. Now how they are gonna get up that street to get to this apartment complex if they can't get to it from 15th Street, it isn't gonna happen, it's not, it's not doable. And so I just wanted to make that point. The other points that have been made are are really big concerns, but this is my biggest concern, is how are they gonna get any services to take care of these people? Should there be a fire? Should there be an emergency that they need to get to those apartments? Thank you. Thank you for being here tonight. Good evening. Good evening, my name is Laurelyn Bodel, and um, you can congratulate me. This past year, I paid off both my mortgage and my student loans. Congratulations. Thank you. For the first time in decades, I've been able to begin making substantial improvements to a home on Wedgwood. And uh, I am heartened by some of what I've heard this evening. It sounds like some of you have been out there and you've seen the neighborhood. You know that it's a one-block street. It's very quiet. It's a place where you can walk your pet in the evening and hear the nighttime sounds, the cemetery, all of that. And Yes, I am a little concerned about property values. It's disheartening to think that with the improvements I'm now making, I may be only keeping up with what the, the value might be and that it would be detracted by this. A couple of other things have occurred to me just in the, uh, listening to things this evening. Um, I wonder if this tree cover that they're talking about as a buffer is taller than what they're going to be building. Would those trees actually protect my home from uh, the <clears throat> building that's over there? Um, I also wonder, uh, obviously improvements would have to be made to 15th Street, and I'm wondering what impact those would have on the neighborhood to the north. Is the land that's going to be needed to make the improvements needed to 15th Street going to come from those property owners, or is it going to come from the land in, that's being talked about for the project? And also, I just would like to comment on the civic engagement you've had tonight. I wonder, I mean, I'm amazed at how many people have come out from the neighborhood to talk about how important it is to them. And I wonder, with a project this size, if something were happening in that neighborhood, how many of those people would show up and engage in this kind of civic engagement? I'm so proud of my, my neighborhood. Thank you. It's pretty neat. Thank you. Hi, uh, Nathan Jeffries. I'm a Brook Creek um, neighbor. Um, I just wanted to, I didn't really come here with uh, anything smart to say, but the geologist lady sold it for me. Like, if you tried to build uh, a bunch of buildings on these, this curved valley, the amount of earthwork and uh, retaining walls, uh, it's cost prohibitive. Um, I'm an engineer, I, I know a little bit about this stuff, so um, I just don't understand how, you know, like she said, just drawing uh, boxes on a piece of paper, that's not planning. I mean, until they get a, the developer uh, brings a plan that is realistic and thought through, I just don't think this is the right time to uh, approve this. All right. Thank you, Nathan. Good evening. Good evening. My name's Rick Friedman. Hi, Rick. And I live in the Barker neighborhood. Uh, 
One of my favorite places in town for walking and bicycling is Oak Hill Cemetery. And it's very close uh, in proximity to this big development. Uh, I'm going to be a name dropper tonight. James, I'm just going to give you a few names here. James Lane, John Spear, Lucy Hobbs-Taylor, Charles and Mary Langston, Richard Cordley, John Haskell, Fogg Allen, Lewis Lindsay Dyke, Dr. James Naismith, uh, Lou Friedman, Hilda Brunner, Ernest Brunner, those are my grandparents, Sarah Robinson, George Walker, and Elizabeth Watkins. Those are all people that are buried very close to here. And uh, I didn't do research before tonight. I don't know if there's any, what the historic designation of the cemetery is. But, and I don't know if there's any prohibitions. I'm hoping the staff could look into that. But uh, regardless of whether it's possible to build so close to a cemetery, uh, I guess in the spirit of Halloween, I'll speak for the dead and uh, ask you to consider their lives and what they've given to Lawrence. Thank you. Thank you, sir. So looking online, is there anyone else out there on Zoom who is here to give comment tonight? Yara, could you raise your hand, please? Samuel Carter. Good, uh, good evening, my name is Samuel Carter and I'm speaking in support of the 2115 East 15th Street rezoning. The approval of this project is clearly in line with goals outlined in Plan 2040. The city is in desperate need of more density and more affordable housing. One thing I want to address though are the uh, historical alternatives for citing apartment complexes. Historically, most large apartment complexes are sited along highways or major arterials. This is often because neighboring property owners don't want apartment complexes in their neighborhoods. You, you may even hear tonight people saying that, that, you know, that they should be sited along highways or major arterials. But siting apartment complexes near highways has historically had really bad results. It forces residents into car dependency because they can't get in anywhere else on either foot, bike, or public transit. But it also forces car pollution in the form of car exhaust and higher particulate matter onto those residents. For those that cannot or do not use cars to travel, adjacent highways mean that they're more likely to be hit by cars. And this is one of the reasons why people who are low income or people of color are more likely to suffer from traffic violence because of development patterns and because of the political, uh, political power of property owners. And I think that this opportunity is a, this proposal is an opportunity to break some of those cycles. The site is, yes, technically on the edge of the city, but very close to downtown. It would give the residents transportation options that they wouldn't have out on K10 or 31st Street. It's, you know, for instance, it's a nine minute bike ride to Dillon's from there. So, and I, I think this is why Plan 2040 tries to do something different. It tries to move away from the historical patterns of development. And it, it wants greater density for better fiscal health for the city and to provide people with sustainable transportation options. I think this is a really important decision. Um, I really want, you know, a lot of engagement went into 
Plan 2040, I think it was broadly representative of the community, of what the community wants and needs. And this is a tremendous opportunity to advance that plan. So I'd urge you to uh, please vote in support of the rezoning request. Thank you. Thank you, Samuel. Anyone else online? Looking back into the room, anyone in the room, anyone out there in the foyer that we've missed that wants to speak tonight? Hi there. Good evening. Uh, William Lehman. Uh, I don't live in the neighborhood. I have a couple of properties. Can you give your name, please? William Lehman. Lehman. Thank you, William. And so um, um, there's a couple of things. One is um, when he said that. Um, this was in keeping with plan 2040. I don't really think so. If you look at plan 2040, uh, I don't see at any point where they want to have this sort of high density um, residence on the edge of town uh, separated from everything else. It goes against what talk about where you want to have things integrated and that sort of thing. So I don't want to belabor that point, but I just disagree with his comment on that. Um, the other is uh, the other gentleman that was previously on the planning committee spoke about, uh, there's no transition. It's just, it's like somebody decided to drop Kowloon City right on the edge of, of town in a residence, you know, residential neighborhood. Doesn't make any sense. The final point that I have is um, a while back, uh, the city with Venture Park made the decision to not uh, use 19th Street, not widen it, not increase access, uh, just leave it as it is uh, in order to reduce the amount of traffic going through the neighborhood. And so it seems counter to that to go ahead and dump this apartment complex right on the edge of town and then have it go on a street that's even smaller than 19th Street on 15th Street. And so everybody else has talked about all the other different things and so I won't belabor over and over, but those are three things that came to my mind. Thank you. William, thank you. All right, anyone else? Anyone else online? Anyone else in the room, out in the foyer? Once we close public comment, we will not reopen it uh, again on this topic tonight. Um, all right, I don't see anything. So uh, the ne next up would be for the applicant to have uh, some time to respond. It, it was uh, Jamie, right? Josh. Josh, dang it. <laughs> so Josh, here's what I want to suggest. Um, if it's okay with you, mm -hmm. uh, we've been going at this for just a bit. I want to make sure that you've got the PowerPoint and everything is ready for that to go. I'm not, I don't think I'll need the PowerPoint, so we don't need to worry about that. All right, if you want to respond to that, we'll do that. And then before we, and before we bring it back to the commission, we'll take a break. Is that okay with everyone? All right. Josh. Okay. Well, um, just a couple of practical things, uh, you know, comments that I would have. There was some questions about parking on there. Um, we currently have 797 parking spots uh, outlined on there, um, which is um, what we would see to be uh, excessive uh, for uh, a property of this size. That's what the zoning requires. That's what we have from historical data uh, for us. But just wanted to, to make sure that's known. You know, there's a lot of comments about runoff, slope, traffic, water, sewer, and you know, Mary did a great job of addressing those things. Uh, those are all things that uh, engineers and city planning will all look at and make sure that all of those things work or this project will never happen. And so those are things that we work on as we go down the process, not at the front end of, of the project. And so I wanted to make sure everybody understands that. But mostly I just want to say that <clears throat> 
I, I enjoy neighborhood meetings like this when neighbors really come together and talk. I love I love neighbors. I love neighboring. Um, I think that's always a great thing. And when I can see people that live in good community and are enjoying the benefits of good community, uh, I think that's great. And that's the reason why we want to do these types of apartments, because um, the the things that the neighborhood talked about, the diversity, the equity uh, across there, the ability to own your own home, this, the way that stabilizes families and helps kids in school, all of those things are great, and they come uh, by having stable housing and being able to provide affordable housing, provide stable housing to those that don't have that typically, and give some of those outcomes. At the same time, uh, affordable housing, as I said before, allows people to build up financial capital and reserves to be able to become a homeowner like all of the homeowners in here and give them the opportunity to give their families that kind of stability. And so uh, I would, yeah, that, that is one of the big reasons why, uh, why we think this is important, why we think affordable housing is important, and, and why we're proposing this. All right. Thank you very much. Right, with that, we'll take a recess. Um, I'm going to ask us to be back in the room at uh, 9.03. That'll give us 10 minutes. Is that okay with everyone? Great. All right. We're at recess. Thank you. <clears throat> yeah. Made it like Jeff, this. I think we're going to go ahead and get started. On the monitor, right. unless, you, unless you object. Yes, man. That's what I did the other night, too. <laughs> I got open Good deal. Welcome back. Um, we are now back uh, with the commission. Um, from the comment, from the public comments, and before we before we uh, officially start discussion, um, I just want to thank everyone that has uh, come out tonight. Um, not only for being a part of the public process, but uh, for the way you have helped this meeting uh, run so smoothly so far. It's a charged topic, uh, small hot room. I just really, really appreciate you all for uh, the way you've helped us run this meeting. So the the issue is back with the commission now. Would anyone like to begin? I have a couple questions for staff. Please, Jane. Yes, please. Uh, could I ask Jane, could you speak closer into your microphone, please? Oh. I think, isn't it? Yeah, ahead, whichever you want to use. Okay. Mary, I've got a couple of questions um, for you, if you could help me. Um, I had requested a copy of the um, zoning application because I had remembered I thought a lot of studies done at the at the time of a zoning application, and I see on the form that during the pre-application meeting, you and the the uh, uh, applicant decide whether or not there should be a traffic impact study or drainage um, or downstream sanitary sewer. And could you help me understand why there aren't haven't why no studies have been done yet? Those studies are not traditionally done with rezoning. You know, they can be requested. We don't, as a rule, request those with the rezoning. We don't know what kind of development's going to be proposed yet. So until they get the rezoning, you know, there's a lot of expense. They have to plan their project, get into the engineering details. So it's down the road a ways. They're all listed on that application, but as a rule, we don't require those with rezonings. But you do on some occasions? I don't recall any that we ever have. 
for rezonings. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing I was um, curious about was um, on the application, it didn't appear that the applicant used the term affordable housing, but rather workforce housing. And I was wondering why it is in the staff report we're talking about affordable housing. Yes, we discussed it after the application was submitted and they explained to me that they're going to get tax credits and they're going to be doing affordable housing. So while they refer to it as workforce, we don't have that term in our development code. So they will be, and that's why I wanted to mention developing affordable houses per the definition in the land development code, just so it was clear, because workforce housing is relatively an unclear term. Yeah. Well, and, and is that, um, is the applicant going to use permanently uh, permanent affordable housing in I think in our definition excuse me, in plan 2040 there's a community benefit if it's permanent affordable housing and, and is, will this be permanent affordable housing I believe the term would run with their financing and uh, the applicant might be able to explain better just how long they intend this to be affordable you know, it wouldn't be something that would be on the deed like you've seen with the two detached dwellings on a lot. We, we have them put that on the deed. Um, but the applicant might be able to tell you how their, their financing and the firms they're working with for affordable housing, what their term would be. But when we use that term in, in Plan 2040, are we referring to any specific time that's permanent affordable housing or any specific process that makes affordable housing permanent? Um, not that I'm aware of. I don't know if Jeff may be looking up the uh, information. I see him. Apologies, it took a little bit more clicking than I anticipated to get there. So Plan 2040 on page 48 notes how it defines affordable housing, and it doesn't define it in terms of uh, permanency or, or along those lines. What it refers to is very similar to what you see in the Land Development Code, which is uh, the, the two differences between renter and homeowner, uh, and not exceeding 110 of the HUD defined fair market rent or 80% of the median family income uh, when looking at it. So it doesn't, it doesn't talk about it in terms of, of length of time or a permanency and related to it. The Land Development Code talks about affordable housing in terms of a length of time because it's specifically referencing to the amendment that allows for two dwellings on a lot if they are both permanently affordable. So that's where that kind of tie comes in and connects back to. Yeah. I was thinking of uh, 2040, I'm on page 21, which talks to uh, community benefits. It's on the right-hand <coughs> side of the page. Yeah, that, yes. Now, that section does actually refer to the same section back that I just mentioned. So if you click on affordable housing on that page, it would take you to the page uh, 40, whatever it was I just mentioned, in 2040 and go to that definition. So that's what it would use to refine to. The community benefit portion in, in Plan 2040 that's referenced there is usually connected to an annexation request. And so if a land is annexed, then that growth, growth management section kicks in, and that's the review that would go through that. So the, the benefit is really tied to an annexation and not to a rezoning request as it rolls through. So it doesn't require any 
guarantee of a length of period. You could have your project be affordable housing for 10 years and then it could be market rate. Correct. It would just be at, at the discretion of whatever tax credit or limitation that an individual has applied for and meeting those requirements because they can vary depending upon who is the grantor of the credit or whatever the financing mechanism that is in place and, and used as part of that project. Thank you. You're welcome. And also, just if, if I may, uh, we noticed, uh, or Commissioner, you noticed uh, the um, san downstream sanitary sewer, the traffic studies, and those those are all required components of the site planning process. And so the project before you this evening is just the rezoning. We would expect those and, and have those as part of the review process for a site plan or a development application when one, should one come forward, excuse me. So, and just from some clarity on that, um, Jeff, correct me if, if I'm if I'm wrong, but uh, the, the the design purpose of whatever might be built that's not in scope on land use is not part of this criteria. Community benefits not a part of the decision criteria. Um, the uh, worthiness of of tax incentives is is not a part of land use criteria. This is just solely about. A rezoning application. Correct. The the, re, the site planning and other things would come along should a rezoning be granted and earn that terms or if the project wants to continue with its current zoning it could proceed to other permits that would be available. Uh, the question of the um, the uh, housing trust fund is in the purview of the Affordable Housing Advisory Board who is looking at as that as part of their purview and if a tax incentive or any other project was or excuse me uh, Monday might be catching up to my, my brain a little bit there. Um, if any other incentives were requested as part of the project, it would go to the, the, the PERC, the Public Incentive Review Committee would take a look at that. So before you this evening, is really just a rezoning application as part of that, that charge in, in your scope. Thank you. Right. Other questions from the commissioners? Go ahead. Well, question, question on the on the road improvements. So um, that's a pretty narrow road, 15th Street. Um, Mary, can you give us a sense of what that would look like? Like, where would the land come? Is is making that road wider a part of the improvements? Um, is if so, where is that land going to come from? Just can you, can you talk to that? Um, you know, there is an engineer, I believe, on the call. I asked and. Hopefully they're still there. I think Aaron Parker was online. Um, they would have to dedicate additional right-of-way to make the needed improvements, and they would have to improve it to city standards. And it, uh, you know, as far as do they need wider lanes, do they need turn lanes, do they need bike paths, do they need a bike route, whatever, those would all be determined with the traffic impact study and with the city standards. So MSO engineers would work with us on the site plan. And I don't know if it looks like Aaron is... Is he still on the call? Can we see? Um, Mary, Dave Cronin. Oh, hi. I'm on. Thank you. Aaron's on too, but yeah, I can just confirm that uh, the road would need to be widened um, and the uh, obviously the profile of the road would need to be adjusted to meet design criteria right now. Um, it does not do that. So um, yes, yeah, some uh, right away would need to be dedicated from the adjacent property and uh, the road would be required to be improved with the project. Is that is that how uh, is that difficult? I mean, how doable is that? Like, is there land that you can take land from to do do something like this? And that would uh, be determined uh, with the design. Uh, I'm not. I can't tell you right now how much uh, would be required, depending on uh, just the design of the road and. Um, if a turn lane is required or not, it may impact 
width of the road, but um, so that would really be, the, the details of that would be determined in the design. So, so it's possible that this may, I mean, if, if it's, this may prohibit the project from going forward if you determine that you can't get enough land or, you know, things like that, right? I mean, it's, it's too early to know for sure. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I, I don't have any information. I, I can't tell you how much uh, right of way would be needed to get the road improvements in. Okay. Could I, could I tag a question onto that? Right, so, Dave, um, we currently have a, 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 a proposed project in front of us that suggests a certain number of uh, units and bedrooms and parking spots. Um, when you do that road work, even if you have a, a, a preliminary plat in front of you, do you do the road design um, based on maximum potential density, or do you do it only on the project that's in front of you? Um, it's based on the project in front of us and the projected, when we do a traffic study, we look at current traffic, the, the actual traffic on, on the road, the adjacent roadway, the uh, proposed uh, traffic that would be generated by the use so that there's a trip generation calculation that is used and then we look at uh, projection 20 years into the future and that's kind of the criteria that we use to determine what um, improvements may be required so it's usually a pretty conservative estimate that we make when we're, when we're doing uh, traffic studies to um, make sure that the roadway is uh, designed adequately to handle the traffic Okay. Can I play off Please. Gary, Gary, can I ask one more traffic-related thing? Yes, sir. Um, obviously, I mean, I know know that road. I don't drive it every day, but I drive it multiple times a week, particularly coming home late from a planning commission meeting, so I stay <laughs> off the main highways. Um, and, and assuming there would be improved road conditions for 15th Street, what does, in a case like this, influence does the city have to convince or force the railroad to do the same improvements to that crossing because i know in my lifetime of living in douglas county that crossing's been ripped out and redone two or three times and it's still horrible yeah um the crossing is in the county and i believe uh, the county is working with the railroad to improve the grade of the crossing I don't know if that would occur in the next year or two, but I, um, my understanding is that they're working to improve the grade just at the crossing. But that would not be something that the city could require with this project. Okay. So then I had a couple of questions about um, traffic as well, because this abuts the county line, and so part of the road, right, would maybe be coming from city property, which is this property, and the on the other side, then it would be the county. So I had a couple questions about that. If they were going to need to do a traffic study and it like widen the road, who does that? Like, does the county do that? Does the city do that? Like, how does the, where's the property gonna come from on the county side to road and um, to widen that road? Yeah, that's a good question. That'd be something that we'd have to look at a little in the details of uh, you know, if any easement or right-of-way was needed on the north side, um, that would be something that we would have to look at with the design. Um, there have, 
we may not put in the sidewalk on the north side uh, or full storm sewer improvements may not be needed on the north side. We would probably still do curb and gutter. Um, so that would be something that would need to be worked out with the design. We don't come across these situations uh, very, it's not very common that we come across these type of situations, but um, obviously we'd have to look at it in the context of how much right of way is there today on the south side of the road they would be required to dedicate right of way to uh on that half of the road to meet uh minor arterial standards um and so whether or not that is enough to get the road in uh, i do i do not know but it's something we would need to work out with the project okay and then i was just also curious um because part of this does involve the county i was just wondering if uh the county engineer or county zoning and codes had provided any information or weighed in on this project or and if they had any comments or thoughts um, that we should consider since it is partly affecting the county line and i'm not sure if that's for the engineer or for mary or for jeff but that's my question yeah the county would be involved when the road is designed and i believe we would work with the county engineer they're not involved in the rezoning we're only rezoning city property or requesting rezoning of property within the city limits and we're not discussing annexation or anything at this time so when it's time to do the road improvements if land is needed on the other side or if we need to coordinate the improvements with the county well, we would work with the county engineer another, another question in the same lines of having to work with other outside groups outside of the city uh, um, what would be the process for uh, getting involved with the railroad with the potential flooding runoff concerns of the culvert that goes underneath the railroad tracks well, the, there are, a drainage study would be required with the project, and we would look at uh, downstream capacity of any drainage structures. Um, and so we would want to make sure that um, those are sized appropriately for uh, the existing runoff and the proposed runoff with the site. So detention would be required with the project for any additional runoff, but we would look at downstream structures, and if we needed to... Um, uh, if we uh, notice that there was some capacity issue downstream, um, that would be something that we would work with the railroad on. Mr. Okay. Mr. Carter. Um, so um, I have a follow-up question for Dave. Um, you know, quite aside from the uh, the improvements requ uh, required for uh, capacity, uh, a, a lot of speakers called attention to safety issues around the hill on uh, you know, on that slope. I, I see four um, points of, of of access for 750 cars. Um, what? would be necessary what kind of um, measures would be necessary to to make that a a safe stretch of road well we would uh review the location of the access points the spacing of the access points for our access management criteria and um and obviously the the grade of the road would need to be improved to improve sight distance for vehicles uh turning onto 
15th Street or turning off from 15th Street. So those are design elements that would be reviewed um, with uh, the design of the site and the road and to meet um, uh, design standards. Um, it would just be a, a review that's done that we typically do with any project uh, to review site distance and make sure it's adequate for the design speed of the road. Thanks. Could I ask, with respect to the grade, would that possibly include um, grade work uphill from the site? Because one of the things from a visibility standpoint, one of the real complications seems to be that abrupt uh, change in slope at the top of the hill there. Uh, yeah, I, I believe that the grade of the road and, and the, the grade that's outside the roadway on the site would need to be uh, would need to be looked at in coordination uh, because that all affects uh, site distance for for vehicles uh, entering the site or exiting the site. Okay. When you say looked at, what what does looked at mean? Um, we would need to uh, look at the grade of the road. We would need plans, um, and we would look at the uh, intersection site distance right. from the access point. Um, and there's some design guidelines that go with that based off of the speed of the road, how much distance do vehicles need uh, to adequately stop. Um, and so that is... Uh, that would be reviewed with uh, the site plan and with the reconstruction of the street. Right, so one of the remedies might be changing the grade on the street so that the appropriate site line was there. I'm sorry, just yeah, absolutely. That's fine. I'm just trying to tag onto what no, you No, that's great. And I'll let Dave answer, because then I've got another. Yeah, absolutely. The, 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 current grade of the street w was is not going to be adequate to meet site distance um, based off the design speed i mean it's where they're showing their access points and it's going to need you know i think it's going to be adjusted but that would again be determined with the design but i would anticipate that the grade of the road will change a little uh through that adjacent to the project and that would be, and forgive me, would that would that need to take place prior to the to the construction of the of the, uh, you know, of any actual prior to any actual construction on the site? You'd need to ensure the safety of travelers. It would be a it would the public improvements would be a requirement uh, of a condition of completing the site before construction. I can't say that we would require necessarily before construction, but before any occupancy it would be required to be completed. Okay, thank you very much. Anything else? I've got lots of other questions, but I'll... <laughs> Jane? A road question. Who pays for all of the ultimate design of the road and the grading and the widening and, and the uh, north side of the road, if there needs to be changes there? Who pays for that? The development. So neither the city nor the county would be involved in paying for any of that. Is that correct? Correct. That's correct. I have a follow-up to that. So it's a very narrow road, and on the north side, I didn't look at property boundaries or who owns what, but I'm just curious as to where they would find the land. Like, 
would eminent domain be used to take that land? Would the county have to take the land um, from the landowners? Just a very, very tight spot, and, uh, and you're abrupt, you know, to to the neighborhood into the county line. So I'm just curious how that would happen. I mean, I, I get that they may have to pay for it, but <clears throat> is there enough land there to do that? Yeah, I, I can't answer that question. If there's enough. I, well, yeah. there may be temporary easements. The permanent improvements would likely fit within the right of way. Um, but for grading um, to get the road, there may be temporary easements needed. That would be very likely. Um, so the the uh, that would be another cost to the project. Um, but that. The extent of which that may be would be, again be determined with the design. I just can't can't speak to that without knowing knowing what the plans would be for the width of the road and and the and the profile of the road. That would all depend on how much uh, right of way or land is needed. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Can I ask a sort of a general question about how this process is going to work? So. It sounds like we need a traffic study and a drainage study at some point. Um, what if in the course of those we determine that either this is you know, going to be very difficult or not feasible, but we've already changed the zoning, what, what kind of impact is that going to have? Like you can't, go, you can't reverse the zoning, so will that cause any negative impacts if we determine, like is it, what I'm trying to get at is, is the city confident that the problems are surmountable? Or are there things that we're not predicting or thinking about enough that could be roadblocks? You know what I mean? I think the city is confident that they're surmountable. I don't know if the applicant is able to fund what would need to be done to be surmountable. So it's possible you could rezone and they could decide they would need to scale back their project or perhaps they would decide not to move forward. We've had the property zoned RS10 since 1967 and development has not been possible. It hasn't been push forward probably because of the difficulty of putting those streets into that subject property and trying to make the internal street network would be too expensive for single family home development to pay for that. So it is possible we could have RM32 zoning that would just have to wait until the road is improved, but that would depend on if the applicant determines that they're not willing to spend the money. Once we determine what the cost is, then it would be up to them to determine if they find that their project meets that or, or that's going to work within their financing. Otherwise, we could have the property rezoned and it would be waiting for that road to be improved. Could, could you, sorry, no. could you do go back, could, could RS10 exist in RM32? Like if, if the developer leaves for cost reasons or whatever, could, could it then go back? Even though it's RM32, could you build RS10 in RM32? No. Um, well, I think you can build some detached dwellings. Probably what they would do is if someone decided they could financially feasibly develop single-family homes on this property, they could rezone. It might be more of a mixed-use kind of a thing where once our new code gets in, they could do something that has some detached homes and some multifamily. But it all depends upon the engineering. How much does it cost to actually run those roads to make those kind of developments work? So they could rezone it but no you couldn't just do whatever you can do in rs10 you know and develop all those small lots you would need and the roads in the rm32 district thank you to mm -hmm. the point it's possible that in the uh, new code that some additional capability beyond just either or 
right. might exist naturally, right. natively with it. Right. Ms. Right. Jane. In this situation, couldn't an acceptable traffic impact study and a drainage study um, be conditions of the zoning? You need to know the details of the project. It may be, I don't know. You know. I know the applicant wants the assurances of the zoning approval before they put the funds. It's quite expensive to do these studies. So if they had the assurance and the zoning went through and it was going to be approved, if their plans, their studies were accepted by the engineer and, and they accepted the cost or whatever at some point, um, Jeff, is that something? We don't do con zoning like that pending studies as a rule. Not, not particularly, because there's a lot of things that they probably wouldn't have answers to at this point, considering construction documents are not a required component of a rezoning application. There would be a lot more, and I think uh, they've alluded to this in some degree, that there's probably a design detail that is not present at this point in time, because you don't usually go through all that line work and, and design on the assumption of a rezoning. And most people would wait to find out the rezoning before proceeding just to make sure that they had a, a good avenue forward. Now, you you know, rezonings are not um, a guarantee of a density or development pattern. So there is a slew of uses and a slew of, of ideas that could come forward as part of that. So that would make them pretty well have to lock down a design and go through that process. Land Development Code does have a process like that through the plan development portion where you do could go through that and it requires a pretty high degree of design up front and it would go through studies and those kind of things that we're talking about. But that's a pretty intensive process and a, a slight different ask for the zoning. Just asking for a base zoning district doesn't usually require a lot of that review and study because there's no set course for a design at this point in time in, in most instances. This is one with, of the areas. Go ahead, Charlie. I was going to say, without going too much into the weeds for me and, and talking about the roads, yes, infill is needed in Lawrence. I, I do not see that this is the appropriate place for infill. Um, where, and I say Kelly Snyder, I was trying to look up who said it, talking about uh, distance from schools, distance from shopping, the things that we want for infill that would be close, this in no way meets that requirement. And uh, um, it's been however many years that it hasn't been developed, but that, it just seems this for me is not the right place for this. Um, it, it, it does not meet um, we're going to have affordable housing. It doesn't meet my need, my vision of where we should have this kind of housing when we don't have schools, when we don't have shopping, when it is out on the farthest part of town in the rural area as well. And then you throw in 15th Street, which is a nightmare out there, period, the end. And so for <coughs> me, I don't need to look whether 15th Street can be upgraded, turned lanes. This just isn't the right place for this for me. So I would, I will vote no without any hesitation. Um, <coughs> Thank you, Charlie. <coughs> Pedro. Sorry. <laughs> I have a follow-up on, on what Charlie was, was saying. And I guess I have two questions for staff. One, it would be... Um, 
on Plan 2040, uh, I know it speaks about um, density, but the um, reasoning in this case is going from RS10 to um, RM32. And does Plan 2040 says anything about this extreme shift on zoning? Because the surrounding areas are RS5, RS7, and then we're going to go from RS10, which is even, I mean, it's not that dense, to RM32. And, and the, the other question that I have is, do we have an example in the city of Lawrence that is similar to this? Any, aside from East Lawrence, anywhere else in Lawrence where it says, yeah, there's an RS5, RS7, and here we have an RM32. <coughs> do, I mean, no specifics, but do we have anything in Lawrence similar to this? Because it, the way I looked at it, it's like going from 70 miles an hour and asked me to reduce to 10. It's we do have some RM32 zonings next to RS zonings. They're usually smaller scale, and some of them don't develop to the RM32 density, just like this one is probably not going to develop to the maximum density. So they're more like RM15 or RM24, and this one I think in the end would be more similar to an RM24 as far as density is concerned. As far as intensity, you know, that's the number of bedrooms and amount of parking, that's what you actually see. It's hard to look at a building and say, that's an RM32 building, or is that an RM15 building, but they're all four bedrooms. So the actual density number I don't think is such an issue. I think the issue is more the size of the buildings. Okay. And I don't think we have a lot that have these tall of buildings so close to neighborhoods, which is why we're recommending pulling them back and setting them back a ways, even though then they're not being integrated. They're being actually separated, but that's to minimize that visual impact of a large, larger scale development. And yeah, my main concern was just the, the, if Plans 2040 doesn't say that, well, you know, we're supposed to gradually increase density rather than a big shift from going from, you know, few houses and then boom 900 people just I think they away. they uh, mentioned design quite a bit design and site orientation because you can have two you can have RS7 and RM32 side by side if you have the right orientation to the site you have the right building size the right separation the right landscaping you can minimize the impact. So it doesn't say that we have to go from RS7 to RM12, and then because we're going to take a lot of area up before we ever get to our higher densities. Mm -hmm. But it does really stress proper design and proper site layout. Okay. That answers my question. Yeah. If I may, Mary, because um, you know, when you were laying out the, the different parts of the comprehensive plan that, that, that support this, um, one that I didn't see was Section 8.4 of the residential um, of the res residential guidelines that say to integrate medium high and higher density housing types so that uses are compatible in density, scale, and aesthetics and are appropriately mixed into larger neighborhood context. Um, what's, your, what, what's your opinion of how that would or would not be satisfied based on this? Because we have, we have buffer zones and things like that, but that's not what's addressed by, by this. Yeah, it's being integrated, in my opinion, in the overall neighborhood. It's next door to a utility campus, which is going to be a semi-industrial use. So it's the transition between that utility campus and the single-family homes. But it's being pulled away from those single-family homes to minimize the visual impact. So it's not actually integrating with single-family homes because there's no way to integrate RM32 with RS7, you know. So if I could clarify. Fingers of it within it. 
Are you suggesting then that this, the, the RM32 becomes part of the transition from RS7 to the industrial? It would serve as that. I see. Rather than this being uh, incongruous with the surroundings, you're seeing it as actually supporting a transition. I'm seeing it somewhat both. It's residential, so it's continuing that residential nature. It's larger than probably the ideal transition would be, you know, to be more integrated. If it's all two-story, I think it would all fit better. And so since it is larger than probably desirable, we're recommending it be pulled back and buffered. So I see it as kind of tying the neighborhood together, linking the RS7 with the IBP to the to the mm -hmm. east, or GPI, I mean. Okay, thank you. And, and Mary, is it, go ahead. No. Yep. Is, is it fair to say that the reason for the high density, high intensity is to sort of find a way to cover the cost of development? Is that, like in other words, you need something of this size, uh, otherwise you, the costs are so high that you can't, is that a fair? I think the applicant could answer that. You know, we've suggested lower density, lower size project, but I think that would be something for the applicant. I do think it's going to be costly to develop on this site with the topography and the road improvements, so I think that's very logical, but are you able to answer that? We just, yeah. You have to come to the podium. Come to the podium, please. Thank you, sir. Yes, you're correct. I mean, when, like in all things, as you increase the amount of expenditures on these kind of things, you've got to be able to have the density to support that kind of structure. And I think that's, as they said before, why it, it hasn't got developed as an RM10, right? It just, there isn't, there isn't enough funds to make that work. And it sounds like from what Mary's saying that the final project won't be RM32, it's going to be smaller, right? I mean, you see it smaller. Right now, I think they're proposing a density of 20.4 dwelling units an acre. This is with the concept plan, and that's what's necessary to accommodate the amount of parking that's required. And once they take into account the topography and drainage detention, it may reduce. But right now, it's 20.4 dwelling units an acre is what they're proposing, which is not unusual for RM32. You don't always get the maximum density. As a matter of fact, you usually don't. If I could just add a couple thoughts. I, <clears throat> I'm going back and forth on this. I, I, I'm not sure that I've decided yet. Um, I really appreciate this conversation. But a, a couple thoughts that um, I've had. I just want to put them out and, and see if uh, commissioners have any comments on this. Um, I hear this isn't infill, but it is, is really driving density. And almost all of the concerns that neighbors have brought is that it changes the density significantly. Um, so I, I think from a, a, a Plan 2040 perspective and a, and a desire to get at denser population around infrastructure, that leans towards positive for me. I hear concerns about this development being, and, and all of these people being um, uh, away from uh, walkable neighborhoods, away from uh, uh, services like food, um, away from schools, and I find that, uh, that my thinking, it's really not any different than all of the neighbors that are around them. I mean, they would, they, this group, this new development would be in the exact same situation in terms of proximity to those kinds of services um, as um, as the, the, the existing neighbors would be. So I, I struggle with, with saying that's a differentiator. Um, 
And I also find myself thinking, you know, I, if that development had been there when the decision on school closures was made, would the school have been closed? Yeah. Right? Um, I know there's, a, there's different bodies of thought, and we, we find ourselves talking about this when we think about land development code update, about the, the principles that we want to apply, and, and some of the things that have gone on in our community, like those painful school closings, have been a product of leaning, again, more towards single-family home, the, you know, the, the RS10 kind of zoning that's there, which hasn't been built at all. And as a result, it's had impacts on how the community makes decisions on the resources that they do have. So I, I struggle with that. Um, and, and because of those things, I lean towards saying, well, yes, this is something that I would support doing. The other side of it, though, for me, is that as Mary was outlining what zoning category RM32 RM versus RM24, and that this proposed development could exist in RM24, but developer wanted to keep, and I understand that, wanted to keep the options open to be denser yet. Um, I can understand that, but we're already looking at a neighborhood that, whose infrastructure on its own right now couldn't support this. And if I had a project, if I had a plat, and I had a project where that would, I would be hard pressed to approve that knowing that there were so many significant unanswered questions about the neighborhood's ability to absorb that and what the path would be to get there. And because the potential for density is even greater than what's in this plan, I'm even more concerned about that. Normally, that's why I'm back, I'm just thinking out loud here, I apologize for that, but normally I would be all in for helping to drive density, helping to create opportunity for more affordable housing. I think that's what, I think that's what we need and what we want. But I find myself missing some key pieces in understanding the impact of that. I asked um, our engineer, you know, do you design by the project or are you designed by max density? Designed by the project. If we zone this thing RM32, and this developer chooses not to go, that doesn't, it's still sitting there ready for the next thing. And we know the rules around that. If it meets the requirement, it gets the plat, period. So I find myself concerned about the unanswered questions in the infrastructure, primarily streets, um, and ability to support that, and it, it, it just kills me because we, we do need the housing. We do need this to happen. But I worry about that risk just because of the unanswered question. And I'm not sure how to, I'm not sure how to close that gap for myself. I'm not sure how to close that other than in many cases we'll see a request for rezoning that will come with a preliminary plat where it's gone farther, right? We have some, some visibility to it. Some of the study work has been done. And I find myself feeling like I need more of that. Yeah, right. I still haven't decided, but that's where, I, that's where I'm split on this. <coughs> so is this, sorry, is this the point where we start giving our overall views of this? <laughs> well, apparently, I guess so. actually still have some questions for us. Yeah, because I, I do have some okay. questions. Please do. Yeah. But I've, I've got lots Please of do. thoughts. Um, I'm just begging for help. Please. No, no, I mean, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. This is really difficult, and those are all the things we're balancing. So um, I just had a question, and I'm actually very embarrassed, because I used to be able to ask these questions when I first started serving, but I probably served long enough that I should probably know the answer to this one. <laughs> but I, um, so zoning with conditions.
conditions, right? So it would be changed. I guess I struggled to see because the conditions are about this kind of about this project, and they say the word like this project or the project or something. How is changing a zoning to the RM32 and then this project doesn't go through or whatever? I mean, isn't it? Isn't this property just designated RM32? It's not really designated RM32, but save the trees. Like, I'm. How does that happen in the future? Well, it would be RM32 with the conditions of the 50-foot buffer and the trees be maintained in that buffer. The stream corridor and the additional protection that would only come when site planning occurred, and the property is already platted, so you wouldn't see a plat for this particular property. It's been platted, and then it was replanted for the pump station that was put there. So most of the studies are going to have to come with the site plan. And um, so, so it'd be RM32 asterisk. Yes, yeah. and on the map, it's always shown with hatched lines. So when you pull it up and you see, oh, condition zoning, it'll tell you that you have to have that wider buffer, the wider vegetated buffer. And so anyone wanting to do a project, if they didn't want the buffer, they'd have to come back and rezone to remove the condition. Okay, just checking. And then mm -hmm. with that, is it possible then, instead of having it being um, number two about the existing trees, is it possible to say something about with the required 20% Oh, I can't remember the exact language that you used about the environmental um, suitability of it. Where are my notes? Um, you said we can have up to 20% where we um, sensitive area site, and then you were talking about how um, up to 20% could be listed as needing to be protected. Is that the kind of thing that can be a condition um, to an RM32 zoning? So that whoever it was could pick maybe the environmentally sensitive land portion and work with that, but still within the project, 20% of it is uh, protected. I'm not sure I understand. It's in the development code, and it's a requirement that you have to protect 20% if you have environmentally sensitive features. But then we have that priority listing, so they don't get to choose. You know, If there's floodway, they have to protect it. If there's a stream corridor, wetland like we have here, that has to be protected first. And then they do get to choose beyond that, except you have this vegetated buffer we want protected. And if there's areas that you don't protect the trees within that vegetated buffer, you know, if you have to make a cul-de-sac or then those don't count towards a 20%. So it would all count towards a 20% where it is actually protected. So then like the tree, so there's some pretty amazing trees on this property. So I'm just trying to think, um, so the, would the trees be within the 20% if they were, like if they kept tree differently, not necessarily in the buffer? Mm -hmm. Would, is that the kind of thing that would be environmentally sensitive lands that yes. are protected because they're so old or like I guess I'm having I'm struggling on seeing plus they talked about the slope and I don't know if that's considered environmentally sensitive lands that I'm just trying to figure out how much of the property is environment technically environmentally sensitive lands where it would be deserving of protection and then 20% of that would be protected right and for you know, the stream corridor, of course, that's 100 feet centered on the stream. So when you figure that, that's set in stone. And the next thing, stands of mature trees, usually we go out and do a site visit because they have height requirements and 
That's just to determine, are they mature? And then we look at where it's a continuous canopy. So if we have a place where they're real spotty, we don't call those stands of mature trees, and so they wouldn't qualify. They can protect them if they want, but that wouldn't come, they wouldn't qualify for protecting stands of mature trees. And so when a site plan comes, if there's areas where the Kansas Biological Survey, they usually review our site plans, if there's areas where they say, these are some champion trees, we should really try to protect them, then that's probably where we would lead them and say, we want this area protected. Okay. So yeah, that's, that, I think that's all very possible with the site plan, but at this stage, we'd just be looking mainly at getting that buffer. Thank you. Yeah. Mr. Carter. Um, let's see, I, I, I guess this, I have the same issue that I'm wondering whether to um, direct toward the applicant or towards staff. I guess I'm gonna start with staff. Um, and some folks, uh, some you know, speakers called attention to uh, the apparent incompatibility between the uh, conceptual plan and the topography of the site. And I would agree looking at it reminds me of a map of San Francisco where you've got like a grid superimposed on really steep uh, topography. Um, and yet when you're building large apartment blocks, I don't see how that how you accommodate that. So um, I, I'll ask staff first, to what degree is it, would a developer uh, be permitted to modify the topography of a site to fit their plan? How much earth could be moved in the process? Um, so that's my first question. We don't actually have limits on the amount of earth. I mean, we try to minimize it. We try to use the existing topography as much as possible, so that would be a guiding feature. Uh, there are limits on the slopes of drives, you know, access drives. They can only be a certain rate of slope, whatever you call that. So when they do their plans, and it's not unusual for us to have plans that we go through, and then they discover that they're exceeding the slope and they have to go back and rework their plans mm -hmm. and revise, reconfigure, so that, you know, in order to minimize it. But we don't have a set standard, you know, like with some things we say you can only grade 5% of the site or something. We don't have that overall, so. Okay, so conceivably if the developer said, well, to minimize, the minimal, um, the minimum I can, I uh, I can achieve in order to uh, realize this plan is to move all of the earth from the top half of the site to fill in the bottom half of the site. That does that count as you know minimizing? I mean, how do you how does how do we qualify minimizing? Um, you know the 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 earth moving. And I'm sorry, I don't, I'm not trying to be tricky. I'm just trying to understand. Well, I think the steepest part is a stream corridor, and of course they can't move it there. Right. And where we have the protected trees, they wouldn't be able to do any grading there. And so I, uh, this would probably be an engineering question. I'm never usually involved in how people grade their sites. But I think they, for financial reasons, you'd probably want to do the minimal grading necessary to create the correct slope for your buildings and your drives. I don't think anyone would just go out and, and just overall grade the entire thing to bring it to us. Mm -hmm. I think okay. financially, and the applicant might be able to answer that better. Yes. These so, might have more expertise in that. Mr. Chair, could I continue then? Please. Okay. So, um, um, Josh. <laughs> uh, forgive me. I'd like to call you Mr. What's your last name? Forgive me. Adrian. Adrian. Yeah. Mr. Adrian. Um, 
So can you give me a better idea of what your intention would be in terms of actually real? How conceptual is this concept? Yeah, I mean, it's very conceptual. It hasn't gone through civil engineering at this point, right? So um, that, that costs a lot of money, right, to take all these things through these steps. And so we've got to come to you guys first. And so then, as you guys have discussed tonight, you kind of have this incomplete picture, mm -hmm. you know, of, of the thing. But be, it just isn't cost effective at all to go around and come up with, get civil engineers on every side and work through this so we would mm -hmm. we would get a civil once this would if you guys were to approve it and the civil would work the site and and be able to determine hey this is the this is the most economically feasible way of getting these units okay. on there because yeah as you said could we just move all of the soil well i mean theoretically yeah but then you know that would be really expensive and mm -hmm. and so that kind of blows up the whole project to do okay. something like that so this plan is um, metaphorically kind of a visual math problem where you're saying like this is the number of units we'd need to be able to build in order to um, to to recover the costs of, of construction and so you know you could move things around but this is sort of your uh, your way to accommodate that number of units on the yeah that's that, that's that's pretty good David okay thank you <clears throat> appreciate it thank you other questions um, maybe. <laughs> you? No? no. Surprising, I know. No, but I'd like to just talk a little. Please. Um, I, I so appreciate... Come to the mic just oh. a little bit, please. Thank you. Sorry. No, you're fine. I thought I had a big enough voice without the mic, but <laughs> um, I appreciate your conundrum about what to do about affordable housing, which we do need to pay attention to, and what to do about all of the unknowns. And for me, it boils down to this project has so many unknowns that have potential impacts on the neighbors. And I think this project does not comply with Plan 2040. Um, I think we've got to remember that if we zone it RM32, we have no control over what happens after that. And it's out there. So I think that if it's going to be um, a denser and more intense project than the RS-10, I think we simply need more information. I don't think we can approve something that doesn't comply with 2040, and I believe this doesn't comply with 2040. And I believe that if we turn it down, that means that this developer or another developer has the opportunity to spend the money to do enough enough more research to know what is probably going to be workable for them and we hope then compatible with the neighborhood and meeting the plan 2040 better. I, I don't think we can solve it um, by trying to piecemeal in things other than the two conditions that Mary has already suggested. I think time is what we have to wait for right now. Thank you, Jane. So I'm, I think I'm beyond the conundrum and ready to <laughs> vote no. All right. Uh, would you like to, let's just do a poll, see where we are with regards uh, potential motion. Is that fair? Sure. Yeah. Charlie, do you want to add anything to what you've already said? I, I don't, I mean, I could say the same thing again. We yep. need infill, I'm not asking you to, but inappropriate yeah. Yeah. out here. I will vote no. All right. Thank you, sir. David, can I say just a couple things? Because all you want. Thank you. Um, I hate to quote Jane Jacobs, 
Um, but um, I'm, I've been rereading The Death and Life of Great American Cities, and one of the things she calls attention to is diversity. Now, the Brook Creek neighbors have talked about like uh, economic and, and, um, and um, ethnic and racial diversity in the neighborhood. Jane Jacobs also talks about diversity of age of building, height of building, use of building. Use is not something under our control in a residential neighborhood. But to go back to what Rick Hurd said earlier tonight, to plop this very dense collection of people in an area without uh, access to you know, commercial and recreational resources is, I think, almost irresponsible. Um, I think you know they they try to mitigate this um, this uh, uh, this intent not to negatively impact the neighborhood by effectively turning their back on the neighborhood, and so it creates as as uh, again as Mr. Hurd put it kind of an island of density, mm. um, ostensibly serving a population that needs housing but probably has the least reliable access to auto transportation, and yet it is. It is inaccessible by transit and barely accessible uh, walking. And so it just seems like it's almost, you know, aside from the effect on the existing neighborhood, the effect on the prospective residents, I think, is pretty negative. Um, and I, I uh, you know, applaud the, the, the purpose-driven approach of, you know, of, of doing something based on their, their moral beliefs. Um, but for the example given of, you know, directing social life, you know, with a, with a staff member, it's great, but, that, but the neighborhood shouldn't depend on that. And it seems to me that this is a, a possible neighborhood without much of a soul. Um, and that seems... You know, having this kind of density would make a lot more sense in an area like um, uh, I think it was Melinda Ball mentioned. You know, uh, renovating commercial strips like Twenty Third Street. We have areas of the city that are begging for infill development. And um, I'll return to something that I that I really advocated for years ago, which is an area plan for 23rd Street, which I think is really necessary to address these kinds of issues. Um, and so, I, I mean, I, like, like Jane and like Charlie, I'm well behind beyond the conundrum. I think it's a very well-intentioned project, but I can't support it here. Right. Thank you, David. <clears throat> Steve, any thoughts to share? Yeah, first of all, I appreciate those comments. I think that was very well put. Uh, I guess to build on that, we often hear in these meetings from applicants and um, developers and other folks that infill is hard. Uh, that is, I, I think, absolutely true. Uh, that sometimes that's hard because you're dealing with existing neighbors and neighborhoods and uses. Uh, sometimes it's like we have here and, and like we've seen in the recent past where uh, the parcels that you're looking at are kind of not developed for a reason. You know, that there are a lot of uh, technical difficulties with respect to developing a particular piece of land and that's why it's remained vacant for as long as it has. Um, I think we've heard from, from staff and from the public tonight uh, that there are a number of technical challenges in developing this site uh, with respect to drainage, with respect to traffic, emergency services, et cetera. I guess where I sit right now, I feel 
fairly confident that if this uh, proposal was allowed to go forward, that the city and the applicant would be able to solve uh, many of those issues uh, in a satisfactory manner. Um, but for my analysis, I, I go back to the golden factors, which we have to consider when we're thinking through these uh, zoning changes. And really, I, I just focus on number two and three, as much of the, uh, the public has as well. You know, I'm looking at the zoning and use of the nearby property and looking at the overall character of the neighborhood. And I just have a very hard time seeing how a project of this nature uh, fits in this particular setting. Yeah. You know, oftentimes with these types of applications, I, I get on the, uh, the city property viewer and I, I zoom out and, until I realize, oh, there's, uh, you know, multi-residence is, is being planned here and, and there's there are duplexes a, around the corner and there's a, an apartment building around the corner and that kind of makes sense. It's all kind of mixed up together as much of our city is. And in this partic particular neighborhood, I find myself just zooming out, zooming out, uh, trying to find something that is similar to what's being proposed here and, and it's... Um, it's a tough go. So I'm inclined to vote against this application. Uh, certainly wouldn't be opposed to other proposals for the use of this parcel, but I think something this intense is uh, inappropriate. Thank you, Steve. Chelsea, you care to share anything? Um, not at the moment. I think I'm, I'm still thinking about it, and I really appreciate everything I've heard. But All right. Um, Mr. Kelso, do you care to share anything? Any, any of the thoughts that I have as to why I am against and I am against this have been stated clearly by others, whether it's the, the character of the neighborhood, it totally changes it. I don't see how you could say it wouldn't totally change it. Obviously, there's concerns, traffic drainage, uh, all of, of uh, those things. It's too many unknowns. It just, it, just, it just doesn't fit right here. Thank you, sir. Mr. DeVore? Um, so, I mean, I think we always talk about affordable housing and um, it, when we get a project in front of us we tend to you know like this is an example of where there's always going to be negatives to you know why this won't work um, we have an opportunity to increase the housing stock um, and this is what we have in front of us I mean it's not perfect it has a lot of flaws it has a lot of questions um, but to your point, uh, Commissioner Eldridge, like earlier you said, we don't want, want to have segregated housing and we want to have mixed neighborhoods where we have mixed incomes, different kinds of, you know, different diversity and things like that. So I, I think from the sense I'm getting is that this is going to fail, but in principle, I am going to support it because I think we need more affordable housing. Um, this may not be the right project for it, but this is what we have in front of us. So I'm in support of it. Thank yeah. you, sir. Yeah. Jane, did you want to add anything? No, I'm fine. Thank you. Um, yeah, <clears throat> yeah on, on my end, I will echo what many of the other commissioners have said, David, Charlie. Uh, and, and yes, I, I'll, um, I, I will decline this uh, application. Uh, for you know, many of the reasons uh, the other commissioners have mentioned, and, and there's, there's too many unknowns here. Uh, and, and it's just it, it's just too big it is too much for for 
for what the rest of the, the zonings are. And it's too far out. There's nothing else. I mean, there's, there's no support for, you know, a potential 800, 900 people out there. Uh, so, yeah, for, for many of the reasons uh, that have been said here, then, then no, I will vote no Thank you. on this application. Thank you. So I, I think I've finally come to a, a place on this, and I, I sincerely appreciate um, all the feedback. Um, I, I, think it's, um, I think it's accurate to say that the golden factors, there are a couple of different points that you can, you can make a strong case that um, it's not met. Uh, or at least there's, there's enough gray around that that's not definitive. I think you can absolutely make that case. Um, no doubt that the density is going to be different. Um, and while it's not a land use question, it kind of goes towards code. And that is, you know, if, if how will it happen otherwise? How will a development that provides that for the needs of hundreds of families in low income happen otherwise? Where will it happen if not here? Every single instance of, of an opportunity uh, to make a difference like that is going to come with this very kind of challenge unless it is truly off on an island by itself not away from not around anyone else which is not consistent with the value supporting integration of all different types of people and backgrounds and incomes and ethnicities and and I in many cases I, I find myself thinking that that's at the heart of what land development code at a high level wants from us. Um, I think that our state and our community have recognized that and they've said, look, we're going to close the gap. We're going to offer incentives and we're going to offer grants to help cause this very kind of thing to occur because it is otherwise financially untenable. I think in this particular place, that that uh, particular uh, piece of ground has remained undeveloped for a long period of time uh, because it isn't developable as it's currently zoned. Um, and I think also that um, I find myself legitimately concerned about the potential of even greater density than we're seeing on that plan and that the worst case scenario that uh, a developer in really great standing looks at it, gets the rezoning, decides not to go and someone else comes in, there's risk there for sure. But I need to trust the process. I need to trust that um, those concerns about managing streets, managing water, managing those other things are going to be handled through the process. And that in this particular case, if it really is about improving the infrastructure, maybe this is a time when that could happen across the board. Maybe this is a time that those streets could be improved. It could get to a place where it could support a neighborhood school. You know, I, I think about all these things, and, and it's, a, it's a tough balance. Um, and I, 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 you know, I think the commission pretty much laid out where they are, and I, I think it's, it'll likely fail as well. But for those reasons, I lean towards approving it because there's a, I think there's a, a greater need. And while there's work to be done in that spot, from a land use perspective, I think it fits the bill. So.
That's where I am. Do you want to add anything, or I'm going to ask for a motion if you don't? Um, I think I'm, I'm leaning towards um, uh, not approving, um, but for many of the reasons that are stated, so I don't have a ton to add, but I absolutely hear you with the we, we want affordable housing and infill. I just, when I look at it, I have a hard time with those two concepts, which are like the leading concepts for, for why I would want to support something like this. And this they just don't make sense at this time in this place. That's not to say that they won't at some point yeah. in the future, just yeah. not today. All right. So I'd, uh, unless anybody else has anything they want to add, I'd uh, certainly entertain a motion. Mr. Carter. I move that we recommend denial of the request to rezone approximately 17.7 acres at 2111 East 15th Street from RS10 to RM32. And is there a second? I'll second. Mr. Perotto. Any discussion? If I may say one last thing. Sure. Um, Hillary Carter and, and Samuel Carter both made exceptionally good points that need to be acknowledged. <coughs> Environmental racism is a real thing. Um, and it, it has got to be super frustrating from a policy standpoint to say, well, we want justice, but not here, and not here, and not here. And this is why I think um, you know, that, that we as a body or the commission, or the, excuse me, the uh, planning and development ought to integrate that within um, a, a goal to come up with an area plan that satisfies that need. Great feedback, thank you. Any other discussion? I, one of the things, I can't tell you who, who made the point, but that uh, the point was made that what we really need is affordable housing for people who want to buy houses. We don't have single-family houses that, that are um, available. There just aren't any. That we've got apartment houses with only 30% occupancy that are affordable, I don't understand these things. If those, if those statements are correct, I think we may want to be, be looking at how we get more affordable single family homes for people rather than apartments. And I just raise that as a related Thank you. thing that I hope we'll, we'll Thank go you. to. Thank you. Sure, we could debate on that and discuss that for a long time. I don't know enough to debate yeah. it. I just want to. <laughs> Any other discussion on this particular motion? Uh, call a roll. Those in favor of Commissioner Carter's motion, uh, please raise your hand with an aye. 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 Not me. Um, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, Commissioner, I was showing you what it looked like. No, I'm showing you what it looked like. Commissioner Kelso, where were you on that? Aye. All right, thank you. And opposed? Same sign. All right. It uh, passes, what is that, eight to two? Uh, seven, seven, seven to two. Seven to two. Thank you. Doing my math in my head. All right. That's the last of the items. Please, please, folks. All right. We are at the end. I don't believe that there's any other business before us tonight. Is that correct? It's correct. Only one item to mention under miscellaneous businesses that we're currently working with Clarion to find a time for you to have another update from them about the land development code update and that process. So don't know when that will land on your schedule, but we're going to try and land that one soon. So be on the lookout for that at a future meeting. Thank you, sir. And uh, with that, I would certainly accept a motion to adjourn. Adjourn. So, 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 so,
and we're out. Thank you all. And all you out in the foyer, thank you, thank you, thank you for being here and being a part of this. It's very important. Thank you. And Jacobs. All up. That's good. It's timeless. You know, it still applies 50, 60 years later. Yeah.